Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, September 18th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Happy birthday, Stephanie. And returning, Stephanie Cook. Yay, thanks, Bob. You're welcome. I'm not (laughs) wishing you happy birthday. Not yet. Get the hell out of here. You happy? (laughs) Um, so this is episode 99 of the Talking Comics podcast. Uh, the saying the saying that it's Wednesday, September 18th kind of freaks me out because our 100th episode live show is on September 20th. Um, but I think we're pretty much ready <laughs> uh, for it. We got a good crowd coming down. Um, just so you guys know, uh, one of one of our listeners had to drop out at the last minute. So if anybody out there wants to come and can come. Uh, email me bobby at talkingcombooks.com with the subject line 100th episode and uh we can fit at least one more person in so just uh just let me know um all right i'm from the business side of it though so we're we're almost at episode 100 um and we got a lot of cool stuff to do there at reese's and we're really excited to do that uh this week we figured we'd kind of hang back and we would do a show completely dedicated to your questions. Uh, we took a bunch of questions, and we're definitely going to doing those. And we're just going to do that in our books of the week. So you'll hear none of this. Oh, we ran long, so we can't get to can't get to this. Uh, My w- fault. Sorry. No, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's hardly ever your fault. Um. Uh. So and that'll be kind of our 99th episode, and then we'll blow it out with episode 100, and then. I don't know what the hell we're going to do after that, because uh, all I've been focusing on is... Well, <laughs> Comic-Con's it. around the corner. It's so we'll true. The whole run-up to that. It's true. We only have like two weeks after the 100th episode. Comic-Con uh, preview. Yeah, yeah. to do uh, to, to, to two episodes of podcasts before we hit Comic-Con, so it's it's not a lot of time for that. Um, and then it's end-of-the-year best-of list. It's true. <laughs> it's just, shot. just all keeps rolling. Um, just so everybody knows, people, some people have asked, if you can't come... Uh, will there be video? And there will be video of the event. Um, we're not going to live stream it, but we will record it, and then it will come out the same day as the regular podcast, which will come out on Wednesday. You'll be able to hear uh, the the 100th episode that day. Um, so we're doing two podcasts this week, uh, but it gives us next week a Tuesday off, which, which doesn't really happen uh, very often. What um, do you mean, off? Yeah, I won't be, oh, yeah, I won't be recording. Yeah, you... Haven't been here in three weeks, so. Yeah, but I was like dying. It's so. true. What, it, honestly, actually, what this time it wasn't your fault because you were really sick and my internet went out. So. Yeah, exactly. Like it was totally not my bad. Like it wasn't true. like I was like, screw y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Which is how I you just normally got are. To do. <laughs> um. So, uh, you went to Baltimore Comic Con long ago. Now. I- did I did? Uh, and uh, you also you went to the Harvey Awards. I did. 
So why don't you tell us about that, Stephanie? I would love to. <laughs> well, now is your opportunity. <laughs> um, so it was pretty awesome. I, I'd never been to Baltimore before other than, you know, via The Wire. Um, <laughs> so I got there. It's at the Baltimore Convention Center. It's only a Saturday-Sunday show. I love these little two-day shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was set up with... Um, Bill and Mark Buckingham and Mar- Matt Sturgis and um, uh, oh god why why am I spacing Brian Boland? Mm. Um, so we had this like kind of like massive space to kind of just hang out and you know do our thing and um, before I even really get to the Harveys, I got to meet a ton of Talking Comics fans, which was amazing. Oh, awesome! Um, yeah, it was really cool. Um, Forgive me if I forget anyone's name, but um, the ones I do remember, I met Nick, Michael, uh, another Mike, Tim, and uh, Frankie. Oh. So, yeah, you guys um, came up and said hi. We got to talk, and it was really cool. Um, I was at this party afterwards on, I think, Saturday night with um, Ron Richards of iFanboy, and we were, like, talking and catching up because I know him from a little while ago. And I can't remember who had come up to us, but one of you did. And, you know, it was like, oh, you're Ron from iFanboy, and you're Stephanie from Talking Comics. And I was like, well, this is interesting. <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> and I did, like, this weird awkward lunge. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> Just so you know, I do weird lunges and awkward things. I have this new weird tick where I'm doing like these weird Captain Morgan poses but like <laughs> without propping myself up on anything oh boy it's really horrible you guys it's horrible you're like Molly Shannon's character from Saturday Night Live so bad I don't oh. even know how to deal with it and like I keep compulsively compulsively doing it like all the time now and I can't seem to turn it off wow. so if you've met me and I did a w- really weird thing and you were like wow I don't want to talk to her anymore. I'm really sorry. Do the lunges come with cat noises? Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> That's a multimedia experience yeah, right I'm there. I'm liking it. I'm liking this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that really happened at Fan Expo. Um, but the big thing for me was I got to go to the Harvey Awards, and um, there was this like big cocktail reception beforehand. And you know it was like for the nominees and stuff. So I was hanging out with everybody, and... Um, I was talking to just people who were around that I knew and Bill was hosting the event. So somehow I also got wrangled into hurting everyone to dinner. I don't know how that happened, but um, I had these like nice conversations. I had this, I'll come back to the second part of this in a second, but um, I had this really nice and normal conversation with Joe Hill. And I was so thrilled with myself for being like a normal human being and just being like, yes, Mm-hmm. and not like getting all crazy and doing lunges or Captain Morgan poses. And I was like, I am so proud of my life right now. I'm like texting my friends. I'm like, I was normal. And, um, you know, we get into the Harvey Awards and Bill does this big speech and, you know, he's introducing the presenters of the awards and um, Joe Hill's one of the presenters. And... Um, he did this joke that nobody got because he was like referencing this old song that nobody knew. So I guess like his like default to after his joke bomb is bombs is to like make fun of me. 
Mm-hmm. He's oh, like, well, man. the only other thing I know about Joe Hill is that my assistant's like obsessed with him. Yeah. Oh, Every wow. time we go to a show, she thinks like she's his assistant. She's like, bye, Bill. I'm off to go help Joe Hill. And I was like, that's literally nothing I've ever said. <laughs> and he's like, Steph, look. And he's like pointing to me in the audience. And like wow. every single person in like the comics industry is like in this room. They're like, Steph, look. Steph, stand up. And I'm like, I'm not standing up. <laughs> I'm actually hiding under the table. Does anyone have any like extra alcohol? Because like I need a jug. <laughs> and then like he carries on about how basically I'm following Joe Hill around. Oh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> 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 and Joe Hill gets on stage and he's like, thanks for your years of service. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's just so much worse. And then I thought that was bad enough. And like everyone had kind of moved past it. And I'm going to like this party afterwards. And then all these people were like, how's Joe Hill's restraining order coming against you? And I'm oh. like, oh. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> And then, like, the next day, you know, I've never run into Joe Hill anywhere else other than, like, seeing him at his booth or wherever. But, like, the next day, I'm calling my best friend and, you know, I'm on the phone going, like, oh, my God, you don't know what happened. Let me tell you. And I'm waiting for this elevator after, like, we have breakfast to go, you know, change and freshen up before the show. By myself, who walks up to go upstairs? Joe Hill. And I'm like, you just uh, take this elevator. You just take it. I'm pretty sure the restraining order says I'm not allowed to be in an elevator with you. <laughs> and then, again, I'm waiting for the concierge. Who's in front of me? Joe Hill. <laughs> and, like, I just kept running into him everywhere. And I was like, wow. This is, like, this is not good. This mm-hmm. is horrible. I'm so mortified. I'm going to go die now. You should have just leaned into it and, like, pretended, like, be stealing his hair and stuff. I and know. Take like some pictures. Allison, yeah. Just went up right behind him and gave him a good sniff. <laughs> yeah. Allison Hughes, Adam Hughes' wife, she was like, um, you should just bring him flowers and, like, start, hilarious. like, just showing up at his booth and just, like, just embrace it. Embrace it. Like, yeah. And I was like. <laughs> Steer into the skid, Stephanie. Steer I, I mean, into the skid. Other than that <laughs> bit of. You know, shame. You smell like um, genius. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> it would have been, yeah. Yeah. Uh, restraining order. But I'm going to, that's what I'm going to get for my birthday, actually. I'm going to go check the mail. And A restraining in the order? Mail, yeah. yeah. At least I got his autograph. <laughs> yeah, on the um, court papers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but everything else, like, I mean, the show was fantastic. And um, I found out, like, Francesco Francavella was like my hotel neighbor and I'd been walking with him for like forever and later on he was like we're hotel neighbors and I was like you're so nice you're the <laughs> nicest so nice. Oh, nice so Baltimore sounded like it was a good time it was I went yeah there were, I had this fancy dinner with Did all you have any people. soft shell crab yeah no I had like crab cakes though we had this okay. dinner on Friday night and it was like this VIP party okay I'm gonna tell one more quick story I promise it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. So, there. I was like Bill's plus one for this um, dinner, and it was like the VIP dinner before this um, reception where fans paid a little bit more to kind of interact one on one with creators at like um in like a cocktail lounge kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we had this pre-dinner where it was just like the pros, but I hadn't eaten, so Bill asked if I could come along, and there was, um, you know, this table of amazing people like it was seriously amazing like stan lee had to back out of the show but he would have been there and like walter and louise simonson were supposed to be there and you know we're all sitting um like it's this big 
I guess, like, just a long table. And they're like, oh, let's introduce ourselves. Like, everyone knows who everyone is, but maybe not, like, the faces. Mm -hmm. So they start, but they start on, like, the opposite end of me. So, like, I'm the last person in this, like, equation. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) No, 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 no. Can I start? Like, no, you can't make me be, like, the last person in this equation. Like, (laughs) no. So it's, like, freaking, you know, Stan Sakai and then, like, you know, Mark Bagley and Mark uh, Morales and uh, Mike Carey and Barry Kitson and Agnes Garboska. And then there's just, you know, like Mark Wade's there and Bill's there and all these other people. And they're all introducing themselves. And at the end of it, I'm like, oh, no, don't worry. You don't need to know who I am. <laughs> and somebody's like, that's Steph. And like, they were all like so sweet. And they're like, yeah, Steph. They're like cheering in my face. It's so red. And I'm like, oh, that was nice. But then Barry... <laughs> Barry Kitson, who's like, he works with Bill sometimes, and, you know, he knows me, so he, like, always bugs me, and he just shouts out afterwards, he's like, what have you done, Steph? I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna sit over here. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, yeah, I was pretty, like, I'm just, So Baltimore sounded like a good time. It was a good time. I, I mean, it was the con crud came, but it was worth it. All right. Awesome. <laughs> um, and Steve, really quick. You, it's only, you only played for about two hours. Yeah. But you played some GTA 5. I did. Quickly, quick impressions. What did you think so far? Uh, I'm really digging it. I'm really digging it. I, uh, I've been playing GTA since the start. Since back in the day. Since like top down yeah. 2D GTA? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And uh, it's... It's so much more, I mean, every time one of these games comes out, it's, you know, a big deal. And everybody wonders what's new, what's going on. The thing that's very obvious about this from the get-go is the the genius of the way that the stories are interwoven to one another. How there's three main uh, protagonists or antagonists, whatever the hell you, mm. you want to categorize them as. Uh, moving between their storylines and their parts of the story is flawless. Like, it, you go right into it. There's no waiting. There's no loading. There's no mm. nothing. Uh, and the world, the, the GTA world is so much more fully realized than it's ever been. Uh, the physics are all changed to be more realistic. Mm-hmm. Like if you're driving and you hit something, you, you hit it and your car stops and it's wrecked. And that's mm-hmm. that it's like no longer, you can't just take things out and run over people without having there be consequences. You mm-hmm. can still hit, hit people with yeah, your car, yeah. but they're going to damage it in the right. front. They're going to mm-hmm. slow you down slightly. Uh, the cops are ruthless. <laughs> so um, it's, it. I mean, like I, I've only had two and a half hours with it, but so far it has me really excited to just explore the game. I actually mm-hmm. left it with a friend of mine. And I told him, as long as you don't do any story, mm-hmm. you can go do whatever you want. Right. So by the time we end this and I go back to my game, I'm sure that I'll have like, you know, extra stat points yeah. in, <laughs> after playing some tennis or... Uh, some golf. Know. Yeah, it just... I know I'm going long, but the, no, no, what I didn't like about GTA was that once they started introducing all the relationship aspects to it, all the other things that you could go and do, they it was cool that those options were available to you, but your reputation and all that stuff, it was dependent on how you performed as a player and as a, as a character in the mm-hmm. game that it hinged on you keeping those things up. I mm-hmm. don't want to have a girlfriend. I don't want to... 
you know, have to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I just right. want to do really cool activities and flesh them out. Yeah. Make them worth participating in. Yeah. San Andreas was, was bad with that because you had to like work your dude out or he would get fat. Well, it's like playing darts. I mean, come on. I don't, I don't want to do that in a video game. That's real life. Yeah. yeah. You know? You know, we're playing darts where all you have to do is like put the reticle towards the center of the bullseye yeah. and press X. Yeah. And, you know, ooh, yeah. I, I won. Yeah. You know, surprise. <laughs> and, uh, one of the one of the highlights that I, I liked, you could sit down inside of your house. You could watch television with your mom, and there's mm-hmm. weed clearly on the the coffee table. <laughs> that when, while you're watching TV, you could change the channels. You can mm-hmm. do all this stuff. You can actually pick up the joint. You could smoke it, and as you're smoking it, like ever so slightly, your vision everything starts to get brighter mm-hmm. and brighter <laughs> as you're sitting there. And he makes all kinds of commentary, and it follows very much in the vein of Friday and Next Friday. It's funny, as far as I can tell. Um, one last thing: when you're moving from character to character, the tone of the game also shifts. Mm-hmm. So you go from feeling like you're in like New Jack City or Friday to feeling like you're in Scarface or The Sopranos mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. have you. With that goes along with those characters, but once it starts to bleed together. It's all of those things in one, and the the sum of those things is highly enjoyable. Right. How is the... You, you're about two and a half hours in, right, you said? Yeah. How is the start of the game? Because I found the beginning of GTA 4 to be incredibly slow. Like, I just... It, to, I felt like I was driving somebody in a car for the first hour of that game, not being able to do anything. You'll be really happy then, because okay. they, they literally... They start you off throwing you... Like, you're... The movie start the full motion video like or yeah. whatever in game video mm. starts and before you know it you're like oh shit I have to move now yeah and you're in it you're That's participating good. in it you're That's doing good. it um, I've not been there's not been like a dull moment cool. since I started playing awesome awesome I'm excited to to dig into it because I, I I installed it before we started so I'll just be able to sit down and it was start a beast. playing it was like seven gigs or something like that eight point two three yeah yeah mm-hmm. so it's pretty big pretty big game yep. All right, awesome. So let's move on to our books of the week. Stephanie, you have not been with us for a couple of weeks, so why don't you uh, you start us out? All righty. Um, so I think I'm not. I'm trying to decide if I should start off with like my very favorite thing of you know the week, but I think I'm going to hold off for a second. Um, so Aquaman 23. I know I've talked about Aquaman a lot lately, um, but if you haven't read 23 yet, it's just like whoa i thought the last couple of them couldn't get more intense Mm -hmm. but this one just blew my mind and i was like um have you read it bobby yes i have okay and see you have read too right i talked i talked about it last week Uh, last week i'm sorry no it's okay i was like in hibernation so i didn't i seriously didn't do like anything i wasn't even no no i love i love it it's awesome talk about it absolutely with the last couple of page that page the ending page the last page yep what <laughs> what happened? <laughs> like my life was just like mm-hmm. freaking out, freaking out. I was freaking out in Starbucks today. Are you sad that he's leaving the book, Stephanie? A little bit. I mean, I I'm interested to see where they go mm-hmm. from here. I as long as the quality stays up. I mean, it sucks, but I just want to know what's you know. I, I want Aquaman to be taken care of. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> He's, it's made me care about the book. Yeah. And I, I think I've mentioned this several times, but, you know, this wasn't a book that I ever thought I would be reading regularly and craving. Mm-hmm. And I want, 
I want to keep reading it and loving it. So as long as there's, you know, as long as Aquaman's being taken seriously again, I, I'm happy with yeah. whoever kind of jumps on board. Well, Jeff Parker is taking over. Oh, well, fuck yeah. <laughs> so there we go. There we go. All right. Well, I am okay with that. All right. <laughs> um, carry, on. Know, yeah. carry on, Jeff. Carry on, yeah. Yeah. As you were. Um, and I know Steve mentioned this as well, but I read like all new X-Men and I was like, ah, holy crap, Molly Hayes from the Runaways. <laughs> So, she um, texted me with all caps. <laughs> and I was oh like, God. we were talking about something else completely different. And then, like, you know, I don't even know what he, Steve had said to me. But my response was just like, Molly is! And then, like, the next, I didn't even put exclamation points. I just, like, typed out exclamation points. <laughs> it's like, ah! <laughs> Followed by about, like, 16 uh, emoji cons of crying. <laughs> <laughs> So, how nice. does it think that happened today? Nice. <laughs> Our texts are quite hysterical. Yeah. No, sometimes I think I should publish my text. <laughs> um, I've been reading, like, a lot of the uh, Forever Evil stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's a few of them I'm really digging. A few of them I'm kind of just like, this is exactly what I didn't want this to be. Mm-hmm. Did you read the actual mainline Forever Evil book? Yeah, the first one? Yeah. Yeah, I kind of forgot that it existed, and then I was going through my comics today, and I'd read, like, a ton of other ones, and then I was like, oh, maybe I should read this. <laughs> yeah. So I read that, but surprisingly, um, and this one was the one that I think got the most controversy pre um, the whole thing because of the redesign, but I loved the Lobo story. Oh, really? Interesting, because I don't know anybody else who's read it, so what did you like about it? Um, okay, because, like, I, I don't want to give anything away. Um, but everyone was really freaked out because of the redesign and they were like, oh, this isn't Lola, this is like BS, la 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 la. And the author, Marguerite, um, Bennett, Bennett? yeah, Yeah. um, who I met and she's lovely. She was in Baltimore. She's um, one of the, the Snyder students, like she's the same thing as James Tinian. They're, I, they're both I met him there too and like I had this awkward moment kind of my friend introduced me he's like oh this is Marguerite Bennett and I was like oh, oh! I was like, screamed at her and I was like maybe I shouldn't do that to did people. you do a lunge or a jumping jack when you said it well like it was Part like her way. James Tinney and my friend yeah. it was like Don Williams and then it was like Noelle Stevenson who does like Nimona web comic mm-hmm. and like I did these horrible things where she's like and Sean's like oh this is Marguerite and I'm like oh, oh! and like <laughs> James and I was like screaming things and then he's like this is Noelle I'm like ginger eyes <laughs> oh, I was boy. like wow I need to like you have issues okay I wasn't quite that bad it was like a charming sort of spastic <laughs> I'm sure you tell yourself that there, uh, there's today's show title yeah. a charming kind of spastic, spastic yeah alright so Lobo go ahead I mean <laughs> the kind of base I mean it's not really this is not a spoiler because this is the this is this is what the book's about. The Lobo that's been around in the New Fifty Two so far is an imposter. That's yeah. the deal. And then the real Lobo shows up in this book. That's the yeah. conceit of this book. Okay. I wasn't sure what the synopsis was for it, so I didn't want to say anything, but yeah. if that's actually been put out there as public sort of Yeah, that was the happening. that was the official synopsis of the book. Um I liked that aspect of it a mm. lot. Like I liked how because everyone was freaking out about the redesign and I liked how they worked in why the redesign is happening because it's not the real Lobo that's on Earth. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was interesting and it wasn't what I was expecting um, because, again, I didn't really read the synopsis. I just went in blindly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if other people... 
I'm not actually, I, I don't really think I know a lot about Lobo anyways. Mm. So I don't know if other people who are familiar with him would love it or not. But I personally enjoyed it. Cool. Awesome. Um, I started reading an old ass book. Uh, the Magic, um, Ileana and Storm series, miniseries. Oh, oh okay. Um, I only read the first issue of that, but I was like, man, this comic is, like, cool. And it gave me, like, a lot of, you know, starting background on the character. Cool. I don't know why I trailed off. I don't know. But <laughs> my favorite book of the week... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, Lock and Key Alpha. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, here we go. Um, so it was like, what? There's just so, I mean, I knew it was going to be dark. I knew that shit was going to go down. And like, I, I mean, it's been postponed and pushed back and I just was like, give me my comic. (laughs) Um, and I got it to it, uh, today, yesterday, time travel. And, um, it's just like, Wow. They have one more issue to kind of fix everything. Where is this? What's? How is it all going to end? <laughs> oh, <gosh>. and, <laughs> and it's just, it's great. It is great. I, uh, I read through all of Omega um, like two days ago and then right, right into Alpha because I was behind and then Omega and Alpha are coming out as one trade in February. So oh, I couldn't, is that how yeah, do it? yeah. So I couldn't wait all the way till February, obviously, because I was it would get spoiled for me, and I didn't want this to be spoiled uh, for me. Uh, and I talked about Volume Five a few weeks ago, uh, and and how how much I loved it. And um, Volume Six or the Omega arc is something wholly different. It, it's it really takes place basically over one night, and and this alpha takes place on that same night, picking up from exactly mm-hmm. where the last issue of Omega uh, left off. And man, I gotta tell you, after finishing it, after catching up on it, we have one issue left, and I, the journey's been so good that I don't think the last issue is gonna matter to me as far as this statement I'm about to make. But it is one of my favorite narrative things ever. Like not not in not just in comics, movies, wow. books, throughout all this stuff. One of my favorite narrative things ever. Um, every, I, I just, the way that it's written, every character has a motivation. Every character is in control of their own destiny. If, if they end up meeting their demise, it's because of a choice they made, not because of some random act. You know, um, I, I love that in stories like this. It does a wonderful job of being, of it's familiar because it's a genre book, but he uses those familiarities to craft something wholly different, you know, and to play against expectations you have in a story like this. Uh, obviously, um, is it Gabriel Rodriguez or Gabriel? I think Gabriel Rodriguez. Gabriel. Um, he having that sort of visual consistency from issue one to issue. I don't even know what issue exactly we're on right now, but from beginning to end, is obviously an amazing boon for for the story because he's able to do callbacks. He's able to um, use visual cues that you wouldn't be able to do. And I think Jonathan Hickman talked about this when he was talking about doing the Avengers and all his kind of interconnected stuff. Because there's a different artist every three issues, visual cues don't work as well because things look different than they did in issue one. And here having him doing every single issue has been wonderful and fantastic. And 
the I didn't expect there to be so much to happen in this first first of two parts in this alpha mm-hmm. thing. I expected what basically happens in this issue to be put over two issues. So the fact that we're at this position now gets me really excited because I was saying off mic to Steve and Bob that this seems like it opens up the last issue for a lot of lot of feelings to occur. You know, and, a lot a lot of personal stuff. And apparently, too, like if don't look at the cover for Alpha Number Two when it comes out if you haven't read it because like mm. apparently there's spoilers on the cover. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't been reading the book, don't look at the cover. Yeah, he. Meant, I he think meant... after reading Alpha One, I can guess what'll be on the cover of Number yeah. Two. Um, and I have to say, you know that these movies are are they're supposedly making movies, and I, I think that if those movies are done right, that this thing will hit like a it will explode into pop culture. You know, I think it's the right type of story with the right type of bent. And if the movies are done right, I think it's one of those things that for a certain generation of younger people, like people in their early, you know, you know, between 10 and 15 could be one of those things for them where they're like, you know, they're talking about it the way we talk about certain movies now. You know, I, I, if they're done right, I feel like it can be that type of thing. I mean, comics are mostly very, because they're visual, they're very cinematic, but like Lock and Key more than normal is exceptionally cinematic it is like it it just it just you could see how easily it could come to life in a movie Mm. um so i mean yeah it was i've been waiting for this again and it just didn't disappoint me um he's been so dark with it and i just i can't wait for the conclusion of it yeah me neither steve what did you think of it ah what's left to say (laughs) It's easily one of the best uh, comic book series that I've ever read, Mm -hmm. hands down, especially with this issue being as satisfying as it was, Mm -hmm. uh, it leaving you where it left you. And I just, it's hard not to spoil anything. I just, we're going to get, we're going to get an an ending that takes its time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the most important element of this this series ending is that it does take its time because people i mean i know for one and i know at least two other people that are here right now that are going to have a hard time walking away from this story no matter how they end it yeah um i don't want it to go on forever because Mm. i don't want there to not be a story like there's no story to tell so they Mm. just put filler in Mm -hmm. i'd rather them end it when they feel the story is over and it's certainly over yeah but, uh, I mean, yeah, as far as it being memorable, it, it's one of those things that you could easily, like, let's say they come out with, like, a super deluxe telephone book-sized mm-hmm. version of it, that you could lend that to somebody, like, a, a, a tome of awesomeness, yeah. <laughs> and just say, you know, you you want to read comics, or you want to read something, like, you like Stephen King, mm-hmm. you like horror, you like all of that stuff, but you've never really read comics, borrow this, and yeah. check this out. And I just think, you know, no pun intended, but it just, it will open doors for people. It's that kind of series. I mean, it did for our friend Jackie. Like, she never read a comic in her life. We gave her the first volume of Lock and Key, and she just obsessed now. Now she's read every Joe Hill book, you know, she's, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing feat, I think. And what I loved about the way he was doing Omega, and it reminded me, you know, brought up, um, you know, the way X Factor ended. And in some ways, and the way he was mm-hmm. doing Omega definitely felt every issue felt like he was tying up 
loose ends as Ichichi was happening, you know? You, yeah. And you could feel, even if you didn't know, like, if you didn't actually know the end was coming um, in a more, you know, meta way, because you hear it in the news and everything, you could feel it happening. You could feel, you can feel it just hurtling towards this ending. Mm-hmm. And when it gets there, and when we get there in this first issue, it's very rare that stuff that's great, even stuff that's great, doesn't let you down with the way it wraps up its major story arc, you know? And in in a lot of ways, Alpha ends the the major, you know, character conflict, as for, you know, as far as good versus evil, in whatever way, you know, it ends up wrapping itself mm. up, it ends in Alpha number one. So to be satisfied with that is is fantastic. Um and I, unless it takes a giant face plant in the last issue, which I doubt it will, because there hasn't been a face plant in the entire run, I can't see how it won't be up there with my favorite things of, of all time. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. And just still speaking on Lock and Key, we'll be announcing uh, the winners of all the right. Design Your Own Key contest soon. It ended today, or yesterday, sorry. Yes. On the Ooh. 17th, and we got like some seriously amazing entries. Awesome. Um. We got a rush of them last minute, but we'll be, you know, doling out prizes for that shortly. And just as another thing, Joe Hill, because I'm stalking him (laughs) um, last week in Toronto again, because I'm stalking him. uh, The (laughs) premiere of Horns happened. Yes. Um, Yeah. So if you didn't know that Horns was being made into a movie and you're a fan of his novels as well, you should go check out. There's some film clips and trailers and stuff. And Daniel Radcliffe is starring what? in that. That's a Joe Hill yeah. joint? Yeah. No shit. <laughs> yep. It's a Joe oh, Hill joint. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he was in Toronto for that. And yeah, go check it out, guys, because it looks like it's going to be really good. I haven't read the book yet, but I've heard great things about uh, the premiere so far. So yeah. FYI. Awesome. Awesome. Bob, what do you got for us? Well, it's sort of a hit and run. You want to start with the bad stuff first? We're going to start with the bad and move our way down. So we'll start with an Infinity tie-in, which Mm -hmm. really isn't, called The Hunt. It's Matt Kent and Steven Sanders. Mm -hmm. Matt Kent certainly has a great track record. Steven Sanders don't really know, but the art in the book is kind of nice. The least of its problems. Uh, It starts as what seems to be a fun exploration to various schools mm-hmm. in the Marvel Universe. And it'll be lighthearted in the vein of FF. You see the Moloid kids and mm-hmm. She-Hulk and stuff going on in Wakanda and even in Latveria. Mm-hmm. It really quickly turns into a very long zero issue of introductions that seem to go nowhere. And as it's Statler and Hilton in the balcony making snide comments from the Muppet <laughs> yeah. Show? Waldorf. Waldorf, okay. That was close. I know my Muppets, man. (laughs) I thought so. And it's all right for that. And you're saying, oh, Mm -hmm. it's only four issues. The second issue will be okay. It'll be some fun. Mm -hmm. And we get near the end, and the whole thing makes a left turn into stuff blowing up and blood in the water. And that the whole premise of it is out the window at the end of the first issue. Yeah. Very disappointed. Could be for some people, not for me. I'm saying not yeah. for you either, Bobby. That's my, my problem with it is, look, if it's going to be that story, I'm totally fine with it. But I felt like I read an issue for no reason to get the ending of that mm-hmm. story. Um, I was excited. You know, listen, I picked it up because it was Matt Kent. I didn't really know you know that much about the, what the story was. And then I open it up and it's like, oh, well, all the all the kids are getting together to like do these uh, like you know like the, the tri wizard tournament 
you know, yeah. basically from Harry Potter. The contest of champions. Yeah, and I was like, all right, this will be cool. You know, this will be awesome. And then I don't mind the idea. Look, if this is tied into Infinity, obviously, so things are not very good on Earth for the heroes. So if this is a kind of a call to action story, I'm okay with that. But the amount of setup you get for this, for me to pay $4 for you to basically have a character stand there and list off names for mm-hmm. 20 pages and then two pages of action that that's not worth it you know it's just not and i love matt kent as a writer i really really do mm-hmm. um but it, i don't i don't get it i don't get what the purpose of this book is now look if from here on out we get a great story then maybe i get it in trade when it comes out or i catch up if people are saying it's great but this first issue it just let me completely cold steve mm-hmm. what did you think yeah, I was disappointed by it. I was I really didn't know anything mm-hmm. about it. I just knew that it was an infinity tie-in and I'm trying to read as much of the event as possible and upon opening it I'm like, "Oh, cool." I'm like, you know, P- kids from the Future Foundation, mm-hmm. kids from Avengers Academy mm-hmm. and there's all these, you know, all these familiar faces and this is really cool, but I I I mean, I hear what you're saying about the story if they want to change it and it's still good then so be it, but mm-hmm. I felt like the reason that I that I was picking the book up or that the, the reason I was learning why I picked the book up mm-hmm. was yanked out from underneath my feet mm-hmm. at the end. And it really left me sitting there and asking myself, well, like, what did I just read for the past 20 yeah. pages? Yeah. And I, I don't I don't like there's There's more creative ways to introduce characters than to just have like a seminar or a, a welcoming ceremony and putting up, you know, well drawn enough uh yeah. you know renditions of the characters and just listing their powers and personalities yeah. next to them and that's like that went on for pages yeah and that's i would rather learn about these characters through their actions yeah than being told for several pages it wasn't just one or two it was the whole damn book yeah it was like a handbook yeah yeah it i would, thought he drew the moloids exceptionally well that was the one thing yeah, I, I came I mean, out of it i was like whoa they looked really good that stuff was fun yeah like, that was i mean that was my problem with a couple of the infinity stuff this mm. week just there were glimmers of what could have been a, a cool book but i just felt like by the end that it was kind of blown for me and yeah i mean again if i hear that's good i might even try to read the the second issue in mm. store and see what's up yeah, yeah. but Beyond that, I and, I and I love. I know you do. I yeah, love I Matt Kent, and I'll redeem him later. But mm. uh, it just, it just, I don't know. It left me, it left me feeling kind of blah. Yeah, and you know, I would rather, honestly, I would rather be slightly confused about who, the, what the power sets, and who some of these people are, rather than the way they disseminate mm-hmm. information in in this issue. So, well, think of the difference when Matt Fraction started his FF. Mm-hmm. And his first issue, introducing Scott to the kids, mm-hmm. and how wonderfully that played out, and touching moments with he and Reed, and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Same amount of information presented in a somewhat similar way, but just yeah. put in a way that you said, "Wow, I really enjoyed reading who yeah. these people are." Instead of having a dry recitation or a a slideshow mm-hmm. as to who this character is and little blurbs next to their name. Yeah, no. it reminded me a little bit. Um, in design in some points of the first issue of Young Avengers in some ways like these these kind of charts like the map with all of the things that's, and the way it reminded me of that and that was one I was thinking about I was like well that first issue I was a little bit confused about who everybody was I wasn't totally connected 
But I left that issue being like, that was really cool. I can't wait to learn more about these people. And obviously that's an ongoing, and this is a four-issue mini, so you have to do things a little bit more compactly. But yeah, I just I felt like I had wasted my time mm-hmm. for 20 pages. And not even because it turned dark. I didn't even care about that, you know? It's just because of the way the information was given to me. See, I get it from both because I mm-hmm. sort of felt I was riding a horse down a nice country path, and he decided <laughs> to make a right turn and go very fast in another direction. And I'm still going straight ahead. Yeah, you horse left what you. What just happened here? Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you, you used to ride your bike as a kid and you hit like a strong bush and you like you flipped over the bike. Yes. That's, what it, that's what it's I like. I meant to do that. Yeah, I meant exactly. <laughs> Looks cool. All right. Yeah. Uh, in ascending order, yeah. uh, but still not great, another Infinity tie-in mm. was Mighty Avengers number one. Yes. This is an ongoing. This is an ongoing. Yeah. And that's my only hope is that in the ongoing, we rid itself of some of what went on here. Mm-hmm. There are some really great small moments here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Cage having a coffee with the new power man and getting texts from Jessica, you know, bring home baby wipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otto Spider-Man complaining about who who's a, a mercenary and, yeah. and a back and forth with that. Uh, I liked that. I liked that idea. You know yeah. that different sides of the same coin mm-hmm. idea they did with yeah. those characters. Monica Rambeau, very interesting. Though mm-hmm. I do miss her dreadlocks or the fro. <laughs> right. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure what photo reference Greg Land was <laughs> using here, but uh, that doesn't look like her. But those little moments are great, and then we get to the hook of the thing, which is the Infinity Event and yeah. people coming to Earth and big fighting. And okay, mm-hmm. nothing special. Because it opens with that whole thing with Parcival Plunder mm. and a regular ground-level fight. Based on those small moments, I think there's a really fine street-level character book here that's an interesting mix of people. There's race and friction, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And it just gets obliterated by, let's all stand around and call ourselves Avengers. I understand why you have to call it that to mm-hmm. make the thing sell, but... Yeah. Stephanie, I'll quote you, unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) I think that once we're out of the Infinity tie-in with this book, I think the book will be a lot better. Mm. Um, I I understand, like, these people are left on Earth, and of course they're they're superheroes, so they're going to fight the threats that are coming in. But that that stuff felt very out of place for me. Like, the Thanos stuff just didn't feel like it fit with what I was seeing Mm -hmm. in in the other parts of the book. I love the the ground-level, street-level stuff. It's really nice. We have a whole team... Of these street level characters, I thought the thing with the splendiferous spider hero yes. at the end was very tongue in cheek and, and very funny. I like the writing in general. The Al Ewing, I you know I, I know he did a couple of fill in issues. I think he did some uh, Age of Ultron tie ins with Captain Marvel, yep. I believe. Right. Um, so I, I thought the writing was sharp and it, it definitely worked. There was a good pattern to what they were doing and. I think it did a good job of, look, I know some things about Luke Cage, but I don't know that many things about him. So it, it was fine. It kind of gave you an into that character. And, you know, the White Tiger stuff was pretty good. And the Power Man stuff, still a little bit confusing. If, you, if you've if you heard Luke Cage's Power Man, there's somebody else called mm-hmm. Power Man, it gets a little bit confusing. But they do a good job explaining Heroes for Hire as well, which I like that a lot. Uh, for me, I mean, the real problem is the art for me. Uh, it's not It's not awful by any stretch of the imagination. But it's just so flat. And emotionless to me. There's nothing for me to grab onto. Um, there's nothing dynamic about it. Uh, and this book, I feel, could really do with some dynamic look- looking mm-hmm. books. Someone like, uh, where I mentioned him a little bit later, but uh, Scott Hepburn or uh, Joe Quinones, th- those kind of people I feel like really would fit in, mm-hmm. in, in a book like this. And Greg Land, I just, I, 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 you know, I, ever, I, I my first real experience in him was the new Iron Man book, which I didn't like him there. 
And it's just too posy and too wooden for me. And I, it, that took me out of the book. It will not stop me from reading the book because uh, I liked what I the other stuff I got there, and I liked these characters. But I was put off by the art, definitely. Mm. Steve, did you read it? I did read it. Mm. Uh, it was a much rockier start for me than it uh, than it sounds like mm. it was for you. I agree with Bob that I did like some of the quieter moments. Uh, I mean, I haven't had much exposure to Luke Cage, but I still recall one of my favorite moments involving him was during the AVX event with that issue that focused solely on him and the idea that he's a family man and Mm -hmm. he jumps out of the helicarrier or whatever at the end. And that was one of the standout issues of the 76 issues that that thing was. (laughs) That one has stood out to me this whole time for a reason. And it's because there is a really solid, you know, there's an opportunity for a really solid character, a very street level character and somebody that you can just like. Yeah. He just seems like a likable hero. Mm -hmm. So uh, the cast was a little bit hit and miss for me. I wasn't really feeling the superior Spider-Man being a part of this. I thought it was a little odd to Mm -hmm. to throw him into this with him. Well, he's an Avenger. Yeah, but. And the rest of the Avengers are gone. So, yeah. I don't know. He's, but he's, I don't know. For me, it's superior Spider-Man. He's off doing all this stuff that it just, for him to show up in this feels odd. Like his, his plate seems very full to me at the, at the, at this point in time. Um, I don't, it's just me nitpicking. He's got a, he's, he's eaten a la carte compared to Wolverine though. So it's, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the art, you know, like you said, it's just very stiff. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't provoke anything in Mm. me i don't i don't get excited about it unfortunately and i don't know it's it's another one of those infinity tie-ins i mean i think that once the event is over that we could make room for some really cool street level stories and maybe keep it to you know fighting on the ground and saving people maybe people that just need help instead of Mm. being involved in these huge catastrophic things that they could do something a little bit more localized Mm -hmm. i think would be fun yeah um and the writing was decent. There were some, you know, there were some laughs and some stuff. But I don't know. It's another one of those titles that came out this week that I just am not. I'm very wary on. Mm-hmm. So I can't yeah. like everything. No, it's I, true. you could have had the street level stuff here. In essence, the Avengers are off the earth. Crime could be running rampant. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I do. I think that the Infinity stuff is what hurts it. Yeah. I think that's kind of been the general impression from everybody who I've talked to who's read it. Um, but if it launches the book and the book ends up being good and this helps it keep its traction then I'm, i'll be okay with right. it i think yeah no, and his art is an acquired taste i am not a huge fan but mm. i will say this jay lyston and it's frank i hope i pronounce this right darmada who do the coloring really have lightened him up in a way i like it the colors a lot it, yeah. it isn't as stiff as greg land usually is yeah, though yeah. there are a couple of shots of luke where he looks exactly like jamie fox from some <laughs> promo poster i've seen <laughs> wrinkling his forehead up a little bit and i'm yeah. just I'm sure there's already an online I'm uh, sure, yeah. set of pictures of where yeah. this all came from. Yeah. I'll pass on that because somebody I'm sure will talk about X-Men. And I'll move into Fantastic Four number 12. Yeah. Which is a really neat rescue issue. Sue, Ben, and Franken have been left behind on this planet of the loopy futurists who are, who are trying to protect their world by dropping old buildings into it and all sorts of crazy stuff. It's, and this is the first issue that is... Matt Fraction and Chris Sabella. Oh, last issue was Sabella as well. Was it him? Yeah. Too? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we end up in the future of this weird little planet and the very far future, and then back into the past. There are dinosaurs, and we end up with future Johnny, young Johnny, 
lots of great character stuff with the kids and Reed, including one of my favorite lines of the year, don't make me use my dad voice. <laughs> Which, you know, Val's giving him trouble. You just have to go there. Uh, we have loads of fun stuff here, and I turned the page. Ben is having all sorts of problems. He is actually shedding. And Franklin makes mention of, oh, gee, your rocks are falling off. And we get to this wonderful last panel, and it just, sorry, I'm, I'm wrinkling some Mylar bags. Um, the last panel, Steve is looking at this. It is the, a lovely homage to mm-hmm. Fantastic Four 245 by John Byrne. It's really gross. Well, it's, it's the opposite side. Just to, without spoiling anything, when, when John Byrne took over the book, he really thought that people had gotten so used to the rocky thing mm-hmm. that he wasn't the thing anymore. He wasn't horrible. Right. People had gotten used to it. He described it as looking too much like Fozzie Bear. <laughs> so he had Reed try to cure him, and he <laughs> turned him back into dinosaur hide, lumpy mm-hmm. thing from the first couple of issues, and people started to complain. Gotcha. So he, okay. So in issue 245, which is one of the best single issues in the magazine's history, quite frankly called Childhood's End. Um, A character gets inside Ben's head and changes him back to the Rocky thing. I don't want to spoil this book. I think people should go read if it's on the Marvel Unlimited app. I'm sure it's on Marvel Unlimited, Uh, yeah. You can pick it up as just a single issue and read this through. It is one of the best issues featuring Sue Storm in the run of the book. She's having an interview with some Barbara Walters snide Mm-hmm. reporter who's giving her grief about taking her husband's name and she does nothing and Masu proves otherwise <laughs> and takes out a character with an awful lot of power and it's just a lovely cover <laughs> uh fearless defenders number nine which is just an amazing piece of craziness <laughs> from the anime cover uh mark brooks again but in a style we haven't seen yet this yeah. is just awfully awfully loopy with Danny Moonstar at the bottom sort of picking it up, saying, well, we're just, we're pandering now. <laughs> we have here, aftermath of, the, of what seems like the battle from before, it's still Carolyn Lefay and her replacement Doom Maidens and creating mm-hmm. havoc, and has brought back these loopy characters that I'm sure nobody who's reading this book understands or knows but me, because I'm just old. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's the headmen... It's a it's this scientist Arthur Nagin who's had his head transferred to the body of a gorilla, Chandu the mystic who now he had a real body but now he's on top of the body of a robotic centipede spider thing, Ruby Thursday, <laughs> who's has a red ball for a head that tentacles come out of and all these crazy things. These are all real Marvel characters. Well, the other two are actually real Marvel characters from the fifties old monster books that Steve Gerber grabbed for the old defenders. <laughs> and uh, the last time we saw Ruby Thursday, for instance, she, they were stealing the She-Hulk's body in John Byrne's run to stick... Oh, they were going to stick uh, Chandu's head on her body, which would have been really disturbing. <laughs> and we haven't seen them since, but they're out there fighting along with the Lady Sandman, who I don't know. <laughs> and while all this is going on, the various boyfriends, acquaintances of the ladies from the Fearless Defenders are sitting in a bar because Venom, who at some point has been with Valkyrie, is trying to tell this Defenders thing is a pretty crummy idea. They're going to get hurt or bad things are going to happen. Stephen Strange is sort of, Defenders could be a good idea. It worked for mm-hmm. me for years. And the ladies tell him basically to get lost. Mm-hmm. We, we've got this, including the bartender who tells him, hey, guys, 
Yeah. The ladies are doing just fine. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> she was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, she's from the days when Marvel tried to have international heroes everywhere. So Molly Fitzgerald, the shamrock, was yep. part of that where they had Sabra, who was in Israel, mm-hmm. and Sunfire and all this sort of stuff. Just a fun issue. People haven't been picking this up. It, it, Cullen Bunn, Will Sliney, and these great covers by Mark Brooks, month after month after month. Just an absolutely fun book. It, this needs to sell more. It is not doing particularly well. We're in the sort of lower 20s. Yeah, yeah. And it just deserves a better fate. If you just love fun books, great female characters, cool things going on, deep Marvel history, but you can get it. Now, Steve, you, I know you're a fan of this. Oh, did you, yeah, I, I read every did, issue, like usually first. Okay, mm. Did these characters throw you for a loop seeing, you know, gorillas with scientist head and all that kind yeah, of stuff? Yeah, I mean, it was weird, but if, if you've been reading Fearless Defenders, it completely makes sense. I mean, we've been dealing with weird since issue one. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, just the, the whole premise of the book is, is strange of having to, you know, replace the Doom Maidens and just the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, bringing back honor to your name mm-hmm. and the idea of, of women kicking ass and that they can and you better stay out of their way. You know, I mean, it's got a it's got a really strong message to it. And I really wish that more people uh, were reading it because it's it's highly entertaining and it's funny. Yeah. No, the Annabelle Riggs stuff here again. Just killer. Yeah. I won't spoil any of the jokes. <laughs> uh, to actual book of the week, speaking of ladies kicking tail, uh, Red Sonia, number three. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so Gail good. Simone, Walter Giovanni. I have, Steve has the actual cover. Yeah. I've got the Stephanie it's Busema a, variant. The which, uh, Jenny Frizon cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frizon. I want Jenny all of them Frizen. in a book. Frizon. 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 <laughs> Uh, we pick up here directly from the end of the last issue. Sonia, feverish from the plague, which is never very good, and uh, no amount of orange juice fixes that. <laughs> <laughs> so she's in big trouble and starts having flashbacks to her childhood when she was going on her first hunt with her father and brother, which, of course, doesn't go very well. Uh, she's having visions of this elk that she's sleeping with. I know that sounds really ridiculous, but she's sleeping with an elk in this <laughs> issue. Am I right? Sleeping next, next to an elk. Oh, okay. okay. Maybe I, I like, should whoa. No, like, <laughs> Tom phrase Tom that style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, without yeah. slicing them up. I thought uh, these her. things smelled bad on no, the outside. Yeah. No. Um, so so she, she's having visions of the hunt that didn't go mm-hmm. well, that she let something go all those years ago. In the aftermath of that failed hunt, their village is attacked. Lots of people die. Lots of stuff gets burned down. Sonia... Makes a mess. <laughs> There's some collateral damage and some spillage, and she is brutal and wonderful at the same time. A tremendous sense of honor within this character. We're back yeah. to what Roy Thomas and Barry Windsor Smith were doing back in the 70s. This is just an amazing book. The art is incredible. Uh, the covers are great. The words by Gail Simone. Uh, we even see Sonja's bodyguards. Yeah, this was easily my favorite issue of the run. I mean, they've all been good, but this one in particular was spectacular. I loved it when I read it. It was something about the flashback art too. I loved it. In, oh, the, in the in the, in the colors, like, which are yeah, the colors. Adriano Lucas. I, I I don't know. I love the way that she's drawn. It's just like the artist is so like the art is so appealing to me. So good. <laughs> yeah, I've I've read, I've never read the novel she appears in. Robert E. Howard put her in one novel, and she's mm. more a highwayman in the, sort of the post Renaissance era than this. It was Roy mm. Thomas who decided 
to drag the character backwards into Conan's time. Mm-hmm. And it, it's worked really, really well, and I think they just settled the lawsuit. Oh, did they? Between oh. the, the Howard estate and him as to who mm-hmm. owns what, and if she's there and here. And right. there were, there were in, a, in a lovely way in this world where things don't happen like this much, payments went for $1 in each direction. Oh, wow. And they get to read, the Howard estate gets to reprint the stories. Mm. They get to tell these Sonia stories. Yeah. Roy gets to do what he wants. It's lovely. Yeah. You come to an agreement and move forward. And I'm so glad that they're doing this other this book. And there's a Legend of Red Sonia coming in the fall. Oh, okay. Which is an anthology title with a huge laundry list of great creators. Cool. Cool. So Red Sonia, even if you don't read any, as I really haven't except for some Conan issues and watching that awful movie, <laughs> I'm, enjo- I'm enjoying the crap out of this. Yeah. They've been trying to, I think, re-push her into the pop culture I for a long time now and it seems like this is kind of how I think this is part of that offensive because yeah. they were supposed to make that movie yeah, a long time ago well, Robert Rose Rodriguez Ro- Rose McGowan Rose McGowan movie yeah and it just never happened um, so yeah so I, I feel like she's a character that is always primed to, to be in that area because people love her it's funny that she's a character that I, I know nothing about and I, I feel like in a lot of ways you know we talked about Wonder Woman how she's a character that people love we don't even know anything about her, and I feel like Red Sonia, to a much lesser extent, is a character like that. Um, but it's cool to hear that that is continuing to be a very high quality. Uh, Steve, that's it, Bob, right? That's it. Okay. Steve, what do you got for us? Well, I read a bunch of uh, really great titles this week, and some of them are as follows. I don't know why the <laughs> hell I'm being so official about this. Yeah. Uh, I actually got the time. I'm trying to do something every week where I pick up a run that I'm not reading and reading it through, seeing if I like it, seeing if it's worth continuously picking up month after month, blindly, not knowing. So so this, these are books that you've been collecting yes. but have not been reading. Yes. Oh, okay. when, uh, when Fairest uh, by Bill Willinghav first premiered, I got the first issue. I read it. I enjoyed it. But... I, it seemed very uh, like it was going to go to to a big place, mm-hmm. uh, and it certainly does. But I, it was the kind of story that I wanted all at once. I didn't want to read it issue by issue, so I was like, "Oh, you know, I'll I'll keep picking it up." And then it just kept getting pushed and pushed. But every one of them came out, and every one had a beautiful cover. The covers to these comics are just mesmerizing. Uh, the vast majority of them yeah. are wonderful, and. Um, so I've been picking it up this whole time. So I read 1 through 19, and I got to say, um, all, every bit of it is is very good. It, it plays off of, of course, the Fables universe. Stephanie probably knows infinitely more about this than I do. <laughs> uh, so jump in and save me if I screw anything up. <laughs> but um, you don't necessarily need to have a working knowledge. If you know the Grimm's fairy mm-hmm. tales, you'll, you're okay. Um, it's one of those things where you'll run into something where there's a history or characters know each other. They already have a rapport and you don't know why they act one, one way towards another, but you don't really care. Like you just, you roll with it Mm -hmm. because all of their personalities are reflected in their fairy tales that you've known forever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, most of, oops, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I think there's a bit of leg, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but um, most of the stories are created so that you don't need a history of, the characters like uh, from fable specifically, like you can just kind of there, these are one-off stories about the characters that are in fables, but usually with very few exceptions, they interact with all the other characters 
in ways that really haven't been dealt with in um, fables. So it's like a fresh experience and you can hop on at any arc because right. they're focused solely on different people. Like the first arc is uh, Briar Rose and um, the Ice Queen Lumi. And then like the second arc's Rapunzel. And the, after the first arc, it's all written by, you know, various writers that Bill has wanted to right. work with. Mm. So like, sorry, I, I'm hijacking. <laughs> Carry on. So you had uh, the first arc was by Bill Willingham. And then um, after that, uh, Lauren Bukes, I guess. I nope. hope I'm. Yes. Oops, I'm interrupting again. Lauren Bukes. And she will tell you, like, if you ever meet her, she'll say Lauren Bukes rhymes with mucus. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. So Lauren, Lauren yep. Bukes and. Um, oh, God. Uh, Inaki Miranda, I believe, uh, is the artist. And this is the the Rapunzel portion of the of the series so far. It was fantastic. It was my by far my favorite uh, arc so far in Ferris. And just that the the first story it was cool, but it, it felt like something that I could have read within Grimm's Fairy Tales, and it was fun and it was it was neat. It was a good starter, but. If I'm reading stories about fairy tale characters, I want to see them doing stuff outside of their stories. And what the Rapunzel uh, arc does is it takes her character, it takes a portion of her history and pushes her to an, like another part of the world. And you get to read this entire story that plays out very much like a like a slow burn horror movie where Rapunzel's got this like super, super dark past or it's just... Not a dark past, but just a dark portion of her life that you never heard of. And this arc explores that. And it goes to some really, really sick, like, places. Mm -hmm. You know, you got, like, some, some like, rain shit going on <laughs> um, in this story. Oh, yeah. Some quote on the trade. Yeah. Some ring shit ring going shit. on. <laughs> what stuff? Oh, I was just quoting you, but again, leg. Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it, and um, and the the current arc is great as well. There's one more issue left in that, and then I I'm, I'm not sure. I think uh, Bill is taking over once again. He's going to be doing another story. Um, he only does like the in between issues. Oh, so he does so, the like, one offs. Okay, there was um a one issue uh with uh Princess Alder. Yeah, and Beast. Yeah, and then or wait, no, yeah, and then he does like the in between, and then the next arc after that single issue is from Mark on Draco and it's a Cinderella story. Right. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, really good. A lot mm. of fun. I mean, I, I have so much, I have probably 15 volumes of fables at my house and just haven't, eventually I will sit down with them and read them. But for right now, I mean, I'm going to keep picking up Ferris. It's really good. Cool. And you know? Lauren Bucus too. Sorry. Just, she just came out with, um, a really great novel. I haven't read it yet, but I've read like little, I heard her do like, um, a reading of it, but it's called mm. The Shining Girls. Okay. And it's currently number four on the bestsellers list. Wow. Um, nice. And it's amazing, apparently. Again, in my normal conversation with Joe Hill, which would later, you know, wind up in <laughs> restraining order, um, he him he was telling me that him and his dad, it's like their favorite book of the summer. Yeah. And it's, mm. if, it's kind of this time-traveling um, serial killer story. So... Guys should look for it if you like her writing. Very yeah, cool. no, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna check that out. I awesome. really, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a really good team. I mean, Bill has, has, uh, I'm sure he's in 
with a lot of talented people, but he's he's got some really cool, uh, you know, I guess talents or people writing on this book. Yeah. So I'll move on to my next book because I'm rambling now. <laughs> so, uh, okay, we're Forever Evil is going on, and there have been a lot of you know there have been a lot of great issues, tie-ins, one-offs. There have been some so-so ones or whatever, but uh, my absolute favorite, 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 love, love, love it is uh, Harley Quinn mm. number one, or oh. rather, what was it? Uh, Detective Comics. Uh, number 23.2. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harley Quinn was written by Matt Kent. So we'll go. redeem a little He's bit. He's all over the place right now. Yeah. Right. And oh my God, the art. Uh, Neil Googe is the artist with colors by uh, Will Quintana. I absolutely positively loved the art in this book. I want to find more stuff by Neil Googe and find out what else he's worked on. There, he he gets it. <laughs> he he took he took the the Harley Quinn look that's going on now. He kind of softened it up a little bit, sassed it up a little bit. And there's maybe I mean the cover's a little ridiculous with her her boobs in 3D. There's lots yeah. of boobs. Flying. 3D boobs. Right, but on the inside, yeah. On the inside Sorry. of the book, there's like maybe one panel of it being a bit extreme. The rest of it is very like classic poses that I've seen in some of like the Bruce Timm stuff mm-hmm. and my favorite thing, my favorite aspect of it is that for the first time since the DC 52, I felt like the new Harley really worked. I mean, mm-hmm. I enjoyed a little bit of what Alesh Kot had done with her in the short time that he was on Suicide Squad, but it was, it was a little too internet speaky for me for Harley Quinn. Like, mm-hmm. even though I'm sure she's up to date about the Twitter and all that crap, <laughs> yeah. um, there was something about it that it was better, but it was still off. Uh, Matt Kent seems to really have nailed her character in this. And what I absolutely love about it is the explanation for her being in love with the Joker. The way they set it up here, uh, is that she, you know, she goes to work at the hospital in Gotham and basically finds that those patients are not, they're not cutting the mustard for her. She wants more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. So she transfers over to Arkham and she meets these people and she's just, she can't get through to them. She can't get through to them. So she decides to basically check herself in by dolling herself up. She, she changes her hair color. She harlots herself up a little bit and she winds up as an inmate kind of undercover. And she's meeting all these different personalities and all these different criminals and everything. And then it happens where one day she's in the yard and the Joker just walks past her and as he walks past her her whole body just stiffens and she she becomes like paralyzed by his presence and he walks right up to her and plants a kiss like right on her lips barely any introduction or anything and just goes for it and when he lets her go there's if you look at the panel she's just got this like shock and awe and in, in that one single moment, that's when she became Harley Quinn. That's mm. all it took. And I love that about her character because it, it in one panel, it shows the infatuation that she had, you know, had for him. And it's just, it's all really well done. And it's all right there. And the whole rest of it, it's a little, it's dark in a sense of the, the story continues. It's a bit of origin and it's a bit of what's going on now. And what she's doing during the big meeting of mm-hmm. the Forever Evil, but um, her who she targets 
is a little disturbing, and I'm, I'm actually surprised that we didn't hear more about it on the mm-hmm. internet of people taking issue with it. But uh, a lot of the violence of it is done, I guess, off off page. Mm-hmm. There's no blood and guts. There's no pieces of bodies everywhere. Uh, but it's some really, really sinister stuff. And it's basically reminding you that she is psychotic. Mm-hmm. That perhaps even with the Joker right now being out of her life, that she's even more dangerous than when she's with him. Mm-hmm. You know, because when she's with him, she's just a henchman. Mm-hmm. But alone and in now in this situation with not wanting to be a part of the forever evil, she's off doing her own thing and she is twisted. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the Harley Quinn that I love. It's the reason why she's my favorite character. So... Uh, it might be a fanboy thing, but I <laughs> I love the hell out of it. I thought it was I, great. I agree about the art. I thought the art was perfect. Like it totally suited it. Um, she, and in, when she's Harleen, uh, it, she sort of has that Steph Brown kind of look to her. Yeah. Um, and I thought that it just really suited that sort of innocence that she has initially. Um, but I like Matt Kent, but I took. It was way too much origin story for me. I think the story was good, but they spent so much time doing exactly what I didn't want them to do in the series. You know, I didn't want justifications. I didn't want, like, to hear these things that we already know about mm. these characters. I wanted to see them being evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, Absolutely, We yes. already know they're evil. Watch Batman the Animated Series if you want to see other yeah. stuff. Watch, read something else. Like, I just didn't need an origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I they kind of touch on little bits that, you know, he added, he elaborated, but at the same time, it just was too much of stuff that has already been written. Like, you know, he put it in his own words, but it was, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't singing a new song to me. Yeah. And I got the, there's a few that's been like that for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to combat that a little bit, I, her her origin, I, I feel personally, I still needs to be still needed to be established in the DC fifty two. That because she's been a part of Suicide Squad, and I've read all mm. of Suicide Squad, that uh, they've they did the one thing with her in in Scott, excuse me, Scott Snyder's Batman, like some of the backups, mm-hmm. and then there was that one issue where they focused on her a little bit. But to me, do, running over the origin again and kind of tweaking it in Matt Kent's way kind of solidified it a little bit more that this is her origin now right in the well, book mm-hmm. I yeah, mean that's, that's interesting I think they only really needed to do an origin if it changed right which it does that's change my only thing. somewhat it, in this right that doesn't sound like her normal origin to me no it's it's well, it's, it's a little bit like it's there's yeah very it's, very very slight modifications right but I mm-hmm. feel like it's just it's more it's more pieces to the puzzle that hers wasn't bad it mm-hmm. just wasn't what you wanted but I yeah. 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 Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I see you have one big tome underneath this Harley Quinn. Yeah, I'm going to get to my my absolute favorite book of the week, and I'm going to butcher some names. Strap <laughs> in, kids. All right, my absolute, absolute favorite book of the week uh, was from Dark Horse Presents, and it's Black Sad. Uh, it is, here we go, by Juan Diaz Canales. I think I did that uh, right. Perfect. And <laughs> what did we say for this? Juanjo. Juan, Juanjo Guarnido. There we go. On Cats. art. Cats, right? Yeah. Cats with cigarettes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Black Sad. For anybody that doesn't know what Black Sad is, Black Sad is a cat. He is a detective. Kind of a little bit noir, but a little bit more like dirty crime kind of stuff. 
And this uh, collection, this is Black Sad um, just alone. There is another volume which I am dying to own. Uh, I will order it maybe next month. I don't know the title of it. But this is three stories. And I got to tell you, there was uh, there was a line in or there was a line in the narrative of Black Sad and the first issue that stuck with me and kind of changed my whole perspective on what I was reading. If you're not familiar with Black Sad, it's entirely cast of animals. Everybody in the book is either a lizard or a monkey. They come from the animal kingdom. And one of the coolest things about it is that the it's not just animals for the sake of being animals. The personalities and the quirks of each and every single character in the story actually reflects the species and what they like what they do i'll give you an example there's a like an old crow character who his only dream is to be able to go to las vegas why las vegas because las vegas there's a lot of lights there's a lot of shiny money and what do crows love they love shiny things that they steal things and they Mm -hmm. they you know stow them away and stuff like that it's just it's a cool little thing that you know all the all the villains are reptiles and snakes and alligators and the um the, like the bureaucracy is all these like power animals and polar bears and roosters and stuff like that but when i was reading it black said had part of his narrative he said i live in a city full of animals and that's when it hit me that i mean they behave like real people mm. everything about this is it's as as if you're reading a crime novel, just so happens that everybody is represented as part of, you know, a species of the animal kingdom. And it's almost like bringing out all of those, those animalistic qualities that exist within these like hard boiled detectives tales. And you're bringing that out visually for everybody to see. And speaking of visuals, it is hands down one of the most gorgeous books I've ever had the, the pleasure of reading, picking it up and looking inside. If you've never seen uh, the art for Black Sad, I, I really suggest that you look it up. Check out some Google images or something. It is beautiful. And uh, my favorite part about it, to wrap up real quick, is because it was so gorgeous and because it was so engrossing and because I was so wrapped up in the world – I spent absolutely zero time trying to figure out the capers and the mysteries mm. that every time that something was revealed or something ended, I was surprised because I was so busy being entertained that I didn't even bother to try and figure things out or piece them together so that when the surprises did come, I was like, oh my God. And you have to go back a couple of pages and reread or there was something in the background. And I was like, oh, no shit. I'm like, how did I miss that? Because there was so many things to look at and to appreciate that you just, you miss it. Right. Um, So beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Uh, Dark Horse, Black Sad. Uh, find it, borrow it, pick it up, read it, Maybe love it. Maybe he's friends with Tiger Lawyer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Could be. Probably. Could be. Um, and Monocle Bear. Yeah. So expressive. <laughs> and the, oh man, the, the rollerblading uh, ballerina bear from My Little Pony. Yeah. Can't forget that. <laughs> They're so all, awesome. have a little convention. And, and Gull Girl. Yeah, and Gull Girl. <laughs> <laughs> all right, awesome. Um, so for me, we talked about Lock and Key at length. That is my book of the week, absolutely. But there are a few other ones I wanted I wanted to go over. Um, from two weeks ago, I picked up Batman Black and White uh, just this week. Uh, 
an anthology series, um, you know, which is very focused uh, on art, uh, but it had some great stories uh, as well. Um, uh, the the stories there's art by Michael Cho in the first story. It's written by Chip Kidd, who wrote uh, Batman Death by Design uh, oh. last year. A uh, very cool, very uh, you know, classic kind of golden agey looking uh, characters. Really beautiful stuff. Um, and a fun story uh, about Batman and Robin. Um, I guess more Silver Age, probably, right, than Golden Age, right? It looked like a cross, seeing that first yeah. Superman. Yeah. Um, little of both. Yeah, a little of both. Late 50s, we'll say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the second story is Batman Zombie, and it's written and drawn by Neil Adams. Uh, honestly, my least favorite story in, in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, gorgeous to look at but as far as the story content just did not do it for me um uh but some v- very cool looking looking stuff in there and he's drawn batman so many times that i'm sure he's just like i want to do something different you know so that's what th- that is for um the the third story is called justice is served and it's a harley quinn and uh poison ivy uh story with art by joe quinones uh and Ooh. story by uh, maris wicks uh basically uh, there's some sort of kind of plant outbreak, some infection going around. Of course, there is that infects uh, Harley Quinn's dogs because it's it's in the, it's it's the in the meat or hyenas. Uh, they are. Let me show you the picture of them. Um, they must be the hyenas. Yeah, yeah they're the hyenas. Okay. Uh, they get infected by this tainted this tainted meat, and uh, <laughs> the, basically the 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 news is blaming Poison Ivy. So she goes to confront Poison Ivy. Uh, and she kind of figures out that it's not her, it's someone else that's doing it, and they team up and go fight this person. Uh, but beautiful art by Joe Quinones, very, very classic uh, Harley Quinn, very silly, and um, and, and a lot of fun. Um, the next story is by John Arcudi, and, but the art is by Sean Murphy. Uh, makes me definitely want a Sean Murphy Batman book, because it is awesome. He's uh, been doing... Um batman commissions all week yeah posting photos and stuff pretty awesome stuff um just basically a story about the batmobile and uh kind of it's inside the psyche of batman the the, the batmobile's wrecked and the story is kind of going between batman fixing the batmobile and flashing back to where you expect the batmobile to be wrecked but then you figure there's a twist on what, what actually happened with it very very cool uh very very fun and uh and i believe it's is that is it the final story yes the final story uh, which is written by Howard Mackey and has art by Chris Samney. Uh, Chris Samney Batman, pretty freaking awesome. Features the uh, OG ventriloquist. Gotcha. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, th- there is uh, basically a, a murder spree happening. There's uh, All the crime bosses are being killed, and Batman's investigating it. But he also has some Wayne Enterprises business he has to attend to. And it's very much about the Alfred Batman relationship. A couple of them are a beautiful book to look at. Uh, next month, there's Raphael Albuquerque and a bunch of other artists coming there, which I'm very excited about. And it was a lot, you know, it was surprising because it's obviously all black and white and the cover is very, very serious and dark with like skeletons of the Wayne parents. It was much lighter in tone than I expected it to be. A lot of fun, some short stories. Uh, and I think, well, it's a big price tag. It's a $5 price tag, but I think it's well worth it. It's a It's an oversized book, but it's very, very good. Um, um, more, more DC here. Uh, Batman twenty three point two with Riddler, uh, number one. Uh, plotted by Ray Fox and Scott Snyder, but written by Ray Fox. Uh, with art by Jeremy Hahn, I believe. Uh, his name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, tells a tale of Edward Digma 
kind of a little bit of a flashback at first to uh, his early days in the mental in, in Arkham, but then it's all just a story of him invading uh, Wayne Tower. Uh, and if we've been reading Zero Year, you know that he has some connections to the the Waynes in in, in the new continuity. Uh, I was. I mean, I, I expected it to be good because Scott Snyder's name is on it, uh, if only plotting, but I really, really loved it. Uh, it's great Riddler story. Uh, it's, it's peppered through with these great, uh, these great riddles all, all the way through, through the spine. And I mean, the Riddler is pretty fierce in it as well. He's not really taking any crap from anybody. Mm-hmm. He wants to get where he needs to get to. He's going to do the thing he wants to do. Um, and it very much plays with the idea of this this family of rogues with Batman and, and how the Riddler is basically like, look, the one person who was ever a challenge for me isn't around right now. What the hell am I supposed to do? That's kind of the idea of the story. And uh, I, I loved it. I don't know, Steve, if you read it or not. Yeah, I read it. Yeah. I read it. Uh, I loved loved the smoothness of his his actions and just yeah he was very cool he yeah. was it was like you know oceans enigma or something yeah, like it was. that it was yeah and i just i love how sly yeah that, i i like the i like the riddler in the new 52 mm-hmm. like what they've what scott snyder has done with him so far mm-hmm. has been painting him as a very very cool character mm-hmm. the riddler hasn't always been you know, he doesn't make a lot of people's lists of, you know, top five mm-hmm. Batman villains. He's kind of thought of as a joke half the time. And he is one devious, yeah. devious <laughs> villain. He's very smart. Yeah. And it's that's very, very smart. But it's it's smart people writing a smart yeah. character. And it's really, really coming through mm. in this book. And it's, yeah. it was it was great. Yeah. It really was. Very impressed by the art, too. The Jeremy Hahn art. I think he's the one taking over Batwoman. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I pre- I'm pretty sure. Oh, I can see Arsene or Batwoman. So cool. pretty cool. He it was very very good. Stephanie, did you read Riddler? I did. Um, I liked it too. My only issue was like for the most part it was great. I liked where it went, and I loved. This was like what I wanted again. Mm-hmm. Speaking how Harley had those moments that was like anti, you know, what I had in mind, and this mm-hmm. was more villains being villains. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was right up my alley as far as what I wanted for this. But my only thing was that every now and again, it felt like a little bit not Riddler-ish. There was a couple moments, and I, I can't think specifically. I read a ton of stuff all at once. Um, but there was just like these couple of brief moments when I was like, that doesn't really feel Riddler-y to me. <laughs> but I mean, I, I I can't really speak on more than that. But other than right. that, it was... It, this is why I think Villains Month should exist mm-hmm. to just paint these people in the horrible light that we already, you know, mostly see them in, but from the side of the heroes. And it's it's interesting, more interesting to me to see the villains side of the story, but just as them being villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He straight up kills a guy at one point. That might be the point where you're talking. <laughs> Oh, you know, not Riddlerly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He straight up kills a dude. Um, yeah, he was in his way. He was in his way, but he just straight up Kane, poof, dead. Uh, and finally, I want to talk about another villains month book, uh, Reverse Flash uh, number one. I've been talking about this for a while, wanting to read it because Reverse Flash one of my favorite villains, and I wasn't sure of his continuity in the New Fifty Two and what he was doing and and all these things. Uh, and here we do get his origin. And this one times I was happy that they did an origin story because I really wanted to know. 
uh, what his whole deal was. Uh, definitely different than the other priest of it's not Professor Zoom. Uh, but what is cool about it is that he links it directly to the Flash in in in, in pretty uh, smart ways, and he he's a similar type of, of figure where. Well, he's actually his name. He's actually a West. He's Daniel West. He's Iris's brother, um, which that's been around for, since they started doing this. So I'm, that's not a spoiler. But I didn't know that because I haven't been reading the book. Uh, and he basically kind of, when Grodd uh, has invaded and taken over the city, uh, the rogues who are helping to save the city because they don't want Grodd taking over, kind of shoot people off to the mirror universe where there's a speed force battery he gets kind of caught up in the speed force battery and when he comes to he you know he he blames the flash for a lot of it and blah blah blah, you know normal villain stuff in that way but he very much wants to go back in time and reset wrongs and and change the world kind of in his image which is a very reverse flash thing to do uh really really good stuff here a a good origin a good tying into the the flash universe and uh scott hepburn who has done some stuff with captain marvel uh, an enemy within arc Mm -hmm. right uh does a really great job here at the art uh mimicking in a lot of ways the francis manipul layouts that have been happening in this issue but really bringing his own uh flair to it and I, i thought did a really wonderful job uh with the art in the book uh, love to see him, you know, I mean, we know Manipul and Buccellato are leaving. I'd love to see Scott Hepburn doing the book, you know, after they leave, if, if that's even on the table. But I, you know, I I picked this up kind of just, oh, maybe I'll, I just want to check it out. And, and I really loved it. So cannot recommend it highly enough if you're interested in that character. All right. Nice. So that's it for our book of the week. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with your listener questions. We are back, and uh, as we promised, we are going to be doing your listener questions uh, for the rest of the show. So we put the call out. Uh, we got a bunch last week, which I have saved, which I'll, I'll hit maybe a little bit later on, but uh, we got a bunch today, and uh, Stephanie, why don't you uh, start one out for us? Okay. <laughs> I got a question for you, Stephanie. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. That question. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Donnie Salvo wants to know, who are your favorite non-Big 2 superheroes? Oof. Whoa. Yikes. Should I go? Yeah, Bob, you start <laughs> this out. Uh, Rocketeer. Mm, good one. Right off the top. Ghost. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's Peter sad. David's Fallen Angel. Okay. Which I really enjoy. Uh, Miss Fury. Oh, right. To yes. go way, way back and going even further back. I love those pulp characters that we just saw in masks. So people like Doc Savage mm. and the Shadow, Green Hornet, things like that. Yeah. I also really like Green Hornet quite a bit. Um, Rocketeer, obviously, is is a big one. Uh, I don't know that many of the non-big uh, two superheroes, except for you know those pulp heroes and, and stuff like that. Mm. But I don't want to just repeat everything. So I'm not sure. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I'm trying to think of... Superhero like- Girl? 
well, yeah, I do love Superhero Girl. She's, like, badass. And, I mean, there's always Gull Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's fairly new. That love is new. <laughs> it's a new love. So fresh. It is. It is. It's fresh and out. Oh, my neck just cracked. But anyways, there is... I'm trying to think of things from, like, Image. Yeah. I'm, so I'm... many Image comics. Yeah. My problem Had it been, with like, the... I dropped off Invincible recently, but oh. I would have probably said Invincible not that long ago. Oh, right. True. That's a good one. I, uh, my problem with a lot of the... When I go, when I read non big two books, I'm really looking for not superhero stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't worry, I enjoy some of the superhero stuff that I've read, but it tends to be a, a lot of times deconstructions of right. superhero stuff. And uh, I, I like deconstruction of superhero stuff, but I feel like that's been done quite a few times, almost as many times now as regular superhero stories. Have happened, so I tend not to react too much to them. You know, if I want to read the superhero deconstruction, I'll probably go read Watchmen. You know, and mm-hmm. kind of that's the thesis for me in, in a lot of ways. Uh, not that there isn't merit in some of those other ones, Steve. Uh, I'm going to say It Girl from It Girl. Oh, and oh, okay, yeah. And uh, I'm also going to throw Luther Strode mm. into that mix. I thought maybe Bob would throw in. Um, that's a good one. Loving Capes. Ah, uh, yes. There you go. Very nice choice. <laughs> Good job, Stephanie. Absolutely. Call me out on that. Absolutely. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome. A good question. Very good question. Mm-hmm. Oh, are we asking another one now? Is yes, that Stephanie, that would, be the, right. that would be what wow. happens. Okay, guys. So, She's been, Stephanie's been gone for a while. <laughs> Justin Angela Townsend wants to know, who's the one guest you'd love to have on the show? And then adds in because... The community can slash will tweet that person and make it happen. Or try to make it happen, I suppose. My goodness. Uh, well, this is a realistic so, request or, or not Realistic. Let's say, let's say they have to be I know alive. I you was like advocating or speaking to Gail Simone. Yes. He did. He, he, he spoke on list. yeah. He spoke on behalf of us at the Cardiff Comic Con. Hmm. Um, Gail would be awesome, obviously. I mean, obviously, I think after our conversation today, uh, Joe Hill... Uh, I'd love to have oh, Joe yeah. Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. As long as I'm show. not allowed to be in there. No, you can't be there. <laughs> it's not part of the restraining order. Um, you cannot be on the show, but I would love to talk to them. I think that'd be fantastic. I would love to talk to Stan Lee. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's the fantastic one. Yeah, yeah I'd yeah. like that one too. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, I think Stan Lee would be great. Uh, let me think. Who else do I want to talk Probably technology wise, he could do it. I think if Trina can, we can figure out how to get Trina oh, on no, the. Stan Lee yeah. has a podcast. He has cocktails. Oh, with that's Sam. true. That's true. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hmm. Uh, Mark Wade, I yeah. think, would be yeah. a great guest. He'd be mm. a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Some artists. Some artists would be. Would be yeah, cool. some artists. <laughs> uh, get some artists in here. Becky Cloonan. Yeah. Would be fun to have on, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, blah blah blah. Greg Ming, Capullo, J.H. Williams, Ming Doyle. Ming Doyle would be awesome. She rocks. She does. Uh, Nick Spencer, I mm-hmm. think, would be would be an interesting listen. Yeah. Um, Alesh Kot would definitely be interesting. I don't, I don't think we'd understand the interview. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One guest. The question was one guest. All right. Calm, uh, calm yappy. down. Go calm ahead. Down. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying. It's my like, pick is who if, above all else. Of all of them, mine would be Joe Hill. That would be my pick. Bob said Gail Simone, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I kind of answered that before. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow, Stephanie. No, 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 I was just, just undercutting to... everybody. Steve, Shut what would be your up. number one? Stanley. Stanley, okay. And what about you, Stephanie? What about you? 
uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. I, so. <laughs> I don't know. God. I talk to all these people all the time anyway. So. <laughs> you know what? You need to shut your pie hole. <laughs> You're sassing me, and I don't like it. <laughs> Jeff John. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> God, I've got a panicking. So there, the, those, those yeah, are your. Uh, I don't know if Stanley has an actual Twitter that he uses, so that might yeah. be the, the, a tough one. I, I, mean, I know a, he has a real, Twitter. The, yeah, whether the real, he is on yeah, it or not. Exactly. I mean, there is definitely a Twitter in his name, um, which I'm sure that he is aware of, but I don't think he's the actual one tweeting at it. Um, no. So there you go. Stanley, Gail Simone, Joe Hill, and Jeff Johns. Tweet at those people and see if you can get them to be on uh on our show all right what do we have next Stephanie? oh right so dave mcgee wants to know what character hero hero or villain do you resemble most in your everyday life taking your beliefs <laughs> values behaviors into consideration wow oh my god that's a good question um i know okay okay, okay Stephanie, go ahead <laughs> Um, this one's easy for me. I feel like Stephanie Brown and me are like, you know, waffle friends. <laughs> <laughs> we share a love for breakfast foods and justice. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, I can't even see what I uh, Did you see the, there's this thing on uh, this fan film that's ex- extending. It's called the Dark Knight Legacy. It's supposed to, like, to be after the, the Nolan stuff. And it's got Red Hood in it, and it's got some dude who's obviously playing like the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character. He's doing a weird Joseph Gordon-Levitt impression, mm. which you wouldn't think would be a thing you could do. But yeah. his voice in you know Dark Knight Rises, he has that very kind of New York voice in it, so he kind of does that. Uh, it's not a very good impression, but uh, there's a detective, the fem- a female police officer, and she says to you know. Who, this new Batman uh, why would you trust me and he goes you're Stephanie Brown I trust you <laughs> or whatever so there you go some Stephanie Brown in the in the news <laughs> um, I don't know Bob what do you think it took me a while I did see this one just before mm. I left the house actually and my answer would be Steve Rogers I would agree with that <laughs> way older than I seem out of time all that sort <laughs> yeah. of jazz bob is a man out of time yeah he absolutely he absolutely is um i don't know that's a really tough question um which i should have thought about before stephanie asked it at this moment um i come back to you yeah you can come back to me steve is furiously <laughs> looking stuff up so i don't i have one but it's so it's so you can't ridiculous. say elmo no <laughs> When I think Elmo, I do think Steve Say. <laughs> you should. I got an Elmo story. Um, God, the only, the only, and I, 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 I don't want to say this, but it's the only one I'm coming up with is Thor. He's the only. I know. I no, know. Absolutely hey, not. Hey, hey, hey! Listen, <laughs> he listen. Can pick Thor if we he both chooses. have the same hair. Yes. Okay, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> we both love beer. Yeah. We both love you know the ladies. We how both many love adventure? Uh, yeah. How many uh, giant monsters have you slain? Oh, dude! Are you kidding me? <laughs> me? Tons. <laughs> so many. I mean, don't even get me started. Right on those controllers, is wiping yeah, them out left yeah, and it's right. True. It's absolutely true. I've slain more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, verily, verily, see, I 
this is this is something that I would need more time with. I I don't. It's so it's hard, man. I yeah. don't know. I've, Whosoever holds this control, I mean, if he be, be worthy, I, I can I can be a, a twisted fuck. Like I I in my own head, but people mm-hmm. don't want to. What? Scarecrow. Yeah, no, I that honestly, that was my first You're one. Not that nearly of. that creepy. No, but I can be. Um, uh, no, that's the part of me that people don't uh, talking comics fans don't get to see. Um, you know, you go to the guy who hides in his apartment with a with a sack over his face. Listen, we all go to some really you know some dark places mm. in our own heads in our own time. Metaphorical, Bobby. I know. Um, Sometimes I, I walk into his apartment and he just throws dust at me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, we can be Catwoman and throw cats. Yeah, I don't think that's what Catwoman does. No. I don't know if you know anything about Catwoman, but I don't think she throws. I cats. don't think Moo would uh, appreciate that very yeah, no. much. Um, you could be like that character that was created in our when we saw the Scribble Nuts preview, and that we created that hero that threw cats. Yeah, that was um, pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, the only one I ever think of, Spider-Man always comes to, not the Otto Ock Spider-Man, the right. other Spider-Man, the Peter Parker, Peter Parker, Peter Parker Spider-Man one. comes to my brains uh, a lot. Um, that's the one I, I'm most coming with, but let's be honest, if I was in the comic book, I would be like Grady or something. <laughs> Grady's not, cool, though. He is cool, but he's not, you know, a superhero. Come on. Come on. Uh, I feel so, I gotta, I gotta find a better answer. Mm. <laughs> I'll, <laughs> Thor's not cutting it. Mm. You know who you are like? You can be like um, talking to Steve right now. Yeah. Okay. Chase from the Runaways. Yeah, I yeah, I could. I'll I'll go with that. All right. I don't know who that is, but I'll take it. He uh, does, and that's what's important. Brian, exactly. Yeah. Brian, His morals and beliefs. Exactly. Yes. Brian Brian K. Vaughn Chase will say, not the um, not the uh, Avengers Arena Chase. Mm, okay. Because he looks weird and he behaves oddly, and I don't like it. Gotcha. But old Chase is... I could definitely see shades of myself in his personality. And uh, and I look like Kane from... Uh, you do look like Kane from... The uh, bearded Scarlet one. Spider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that first issue, before he shaves. Before he shaves and looks like Peter. Yes. Which, that's serious ending, which is sad. It is sad. And yeah, it's sad it's that I, I stopped collecting it last issue, so now I'm going to have to go get that issue. Yeah. And then just go to the end, because I've gone this far. Yeah, it was funny. Christios was like, if you had told me when we first started this that we have gotten this far... I would have told you you're crazy. So he's a very good spirit about it. All right, cool. That's a great question. Great, great question. Chasing Thor. <laughs> what do um, we got next, so Steph? Next question's from Lenny Reed. And this is sort of, you know, same sort of thing, but um, put yourself in a supervillain's mindset. What would your villainous Done. target and skill sets be? This can be against companies, eco-terrorism, anti-capitalist, etc., modern cultures, celebrity hipsters, etc., or anything else that grinds your gears. Mm. Okay. Bob, uh, I feel, is like the most curmudgeonly. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I've, I've got it sorted already. Okay. Yeah, that's why I was like, yeah. I think Bob should go first. Right. I'm volunteering uh, you. Uh, I want to be one of those time-traveling villains, mm-hmm. Kang or Prodegaton mm-hmm. or something, but I want to use this power for sort of good. Mm-hmm. Travel back in time to before the Depression, fix that, which mm-hmm. then ends World War II and the Holocaust and all the trouble in the Middle East and Vietnam and Korea, so on and so on and so forth, and then I can rule a peaceful planet. Made in your image. Exactly. This is what all villains think. <laughs> yes. They think, I'll just, I'll do, I know how to fix it. Exactly. It starts... <laughs> 
altruistically yeah. and, and turns badly. There's a famous Star Trek episode where there, it's a planet where they send a historian and everything is going bad. Mm-hmm. And he can't get in touch with the Federation. So what he decides to do to get order going on the planet, he brings back the Nazis. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it works. Mm-hmm. For a while. Right, for a while. I would assume only for a while. Only for a while. That's why Kirk has to show up. Yeah. Um, For me, it would be some sort of, like, technological uh, power where I could, like, uh, control and manipulate uh, uh, computers. And specifically, if this is about the axe to grind stuff, this would definitely be an internet-focused situation. And it would would make... uh, the nice thing would be like, oh, make a internet nice, but really what the evil part of me would want to have all of the horrible, nasty things that people say on the internet turned back on them Ooh. and have them actually happen to the people who said those things. Damn. There you go. So someone says, go screw yourself, and it really happens. Exactly. Yeah, there you exactly. Go. That could be nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. I didn't. I wasn't thinking the "grow screw yourself" part, but you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would yeah. be my, my evilness, my axe to grind. Interesting. Yeah. See, what do you? Um, the first thing that's coming to mind is I would do something involving music. I would form some kind of band that created a like a hypnotic sound, and so I you're was like Scott Pilgrim. Well, yeah. not Scott Pilgrim, but mm-hmm. or like uh, uh, this is a, a really poor example, but uh, Lestat from the um, yeah yeah, the yeah Vampire yes. series yeah 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 yes. you know just I having being a frontman for a band uh, you know singer guitar player but in like inlaid into the music you could like mass audiences you can rule through fear that mm-hmm. your song takes off and everyone hears it everyone listens to it becomes entranced mm-hmm. by it shares it and suddenly you have like a global you have like a grip over over the world and basically you can uh subliminal message your music because i'd still want to make some good music but subliminally you would be told to do x y and z and then Mm -hmm. whatever whatever part of the world that i saw fit that song would be tailored to that mm-hmm. group or that part of the world. That's I feel like this is actually appearance. directly taken from a Pinky in the Brain episode. <laughs> it's kind of like that uh, episode of Say by the Bell, where Zach makes like the the tape that makes Kelly want to go out with him. Oh God! Have yeah. you ever seen that one? Yes, I have. I, dude, I've seen them all multiple <laughs> I'm times. Laugh so much. It's Halloween three. Yeah. Teen line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good one. That's a good villain power. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I mean, I probably should have thought of this more and maybe should have thought of this while you guys talked about yours instead of throwing snarky comments out there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, the only thing I can come up with would be like, let's see, I will teleport around and punch people who are like, oh, my only like real pet peeves are like (laughs) TTC, like people on public transportation who are just like irksome to me and then like people who hurt animals so you're very you're a street level villain (laughs) (laughs) i'll just like teleport in places and be like oh superior foes of stephanie before you get on the subway Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. push people and then punch them and then teleport away spell my name right damn it (laughs) (laughs) oh no starbucks Mm -hmm. oh my god yes i'm gonna start like vendetta against like star schmucks <laughs> every time they every time they like spell my name wrong i'm gonna travel to you know a different starbucks and like i'm gonna have this superpower where i can come up with i can you know rearrange the molecules so i can change the signs on their starbucks to be spelt wrong 
So, like... <laughs> You're devious, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I'm going to irk the world by... Yeah. With bad spelling in... Because they can't spell people's names right. right. On their coffee cups. God! Starbucks. <laughs> All right. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Shut up. Insane, um, thank God. Right. So Greg Cook says, or wants to know, name a character or team up from each of the big two that you feel you could write a run of. Feel free to spoil us on plot points. Oh, on the spoil us on the stories that we would come up with. I gotcha. Yep. We don't hold back the spoilers, guys. <laughs> And then they all die. Yeah. yeah. Spoilers, the Flash is going to run real fast. <laughs> and the Green Lantern is going to shoot Green stuff out of his ring. You blew it for me. I blew, no, it. I blew, I blew the one. whole story I for you. I need to read it now. I blew it all. Bob, you got one? Sure, I have one for each company. Okay, go for it. Uh, on the DC side, I would bring back two of the characters I loved as, as a kid that don't, you don't see much anymore in this new version of the universe. So it would be the Doom Patrol and the Metal Men, two mm. sort of quirky sort of characters and you go very science fictiony it's they had a an enemy the metal men did called the missile men who came from outer space and just flew and wrecked stuff and be perfect yeah perfectly good stuff and i think i could certainly uh write a fantastic four thing just because mm-hmm. so i would bring back since we don't see alicia mast as much anymore and they're which nanny, Agatha Harkness, who hasn't been seen in many years, she's died two or three times, but she's still around somewhere, and do a horror story. Do a nice, scary, witchy horror story. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, Steve, you want to go next? The only th- um, comic that I would love to write uh, would actually be a Lenore comic. Ooh. I think that I've, I've read enough of her character over the years that I could match her... Uh, <laughs> disgusting uh sense of what's right and wrong and just the quirky little characters that run around her home and and all the things uh i just i i think i could have a lot of fun with that and the other the other thing would be a uh future foundation story which i've i've already shared a while back yeah uh i would still one day love to sit down and kind of toy with that a little bit cool awesome um i would I would love to do a. We talked a lot about them in the last couple of weeks, but I'd love to do a Flash, uh, Rogues team up book. Maybe the Flash and Mirror Master, uh, using both of their power sets. Maybe a time traveling thing, or the Flash is you know they're going back in time. I'd love to see them because uh, I love when the Flash does those spanning universes stories. So sure. maybe we get to see. And maybe we get to see some of the other universes that exist. Maybe we get to see some of the old universe that exists. Maybe it still exists somewhere in, in a pocket mm-hmm. or something. With, not that I wanted to come back, but just that kind of thing. Maybe we see Earth-1, this new Earth-1 line they're doing, you know, and it's just kind of traversal between uh, those those two characters, and you get the kind of that buddy cop thing. Sure. He needs uh, the mirror master to fix things for exactly. whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs the mirror dimension to do this, and between their, both of their yeah. dimensional powers, they can... Create some interesting vortexes and and, and doorways and, and and stuff like that. So I think that would be pretty cool. Ooh. And I would love only having read one of these characters in Young Avengers. I'd love to see a Kid Loki uh, Miss America uh, team up book because they have a great uh, and antagonistic relationship together that I think would be awesome to see spread out. Uh, Stephanie, what about you? Um, they they tell you to write what you know. So I think I would like to write a run 
of runaways because my parents, you know, were super villains, and <laughs> I've been harboring secret powers since I was uh, a youngin. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to tell my story in a semi-autobiographical tale of woe and shenanigans. <laughs> and dinosaurs. <laughs> and dinosaurs. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs. <laughs> fuck <laughs> yeah. I'm making T-Rex face right now. Or lots of raptor face. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Shut up. By the way, I'm not drunk. I it's just Stephanie. <laughs> Mm. Should be your tagline. I'm not drunk. I'm just Stephanie. <laughs> I'm gonna wear it as like a. I'm gonna pin it on my shirt, like a note from you know your teacher that you have to bring back to your parents after school. Right. So you get on the right bus and everything. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Mm. Um. So, let's see. David Spear wants to know. Both Marvel and DC currently have writers whom contractually are unable to write for both companies. My favorite writers are Jeff Lemire, Scott Snyder, Matt Fraction, and Jonathan Hickman and Jason Aaron. Are there certain DC writers that could spin an awesome Marvel yarn or vice versa? And what Marvel titles would you love to see Jeff Lemire write? FF or Spidey, perhaps? I've never really gotten into Green Lantern, but could Jason Aaron pull off an epic run? We may have talked the... Oh, wait. Yeah. Carry on. So the, the end of the question? Yep. I was like, it was just, he just talks, he mentioned it if we, if we might have talked about this before. before. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Bob, you want to go first? Specifically the people he mentioned? I don't think it has just to be, no, just I think in general. If you want to mention those people, that's fine, mm-hmm. but you don't have to. I would certainly think that I mentioned the metalman before. Mm-hmm. Matt Fraction's sense of humor with something, mm-hmm. as you can see with FF, he could certainly write them. Right. So I would certainly like to see that. I'd love to see Gail Simone take a, a run at Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be awesome. Um, first of all, very good taste in writers. <laughs> I will say that, that is a very good run of, of writers that that you mentioned. Um, yeah, I mean, Jason Aaron could write a... I'm sure he can write anything well. But I, I, I think that Jonathan Hickman, Green Lantern story would be mm-hmm. a pretty epic oh, yeah. uh, concoction. Um you know, uh, Jason Aaron, I'd love to see him take on, like, uh, Etragon or something like that. Uh, or, uh, you know, something mm. like what Demon Knights was, that sort of very operatic, huge, uh, almost mythological take. And that's why I think Jason Aaron would probably be good at DC- writing DC books, because that's the kind of stuff that they deal very, very well in, you know. Um, if it wasn't for his... his, his Kind of, the thing is, like he's a, he's an interesting writer because he he goes back and forth very very deftly between being really ridiculous and really funny, and really serious and really dark and, and really scary. You know, so um, his the t- type of way he writes mythology, he might be a good writer on Wonder Woman if he finds that right balance. You know, and I think he's the kind of writer who he knows how to find that balance mm-hmm. and writes to the story uh, that he's writing. Uh, specifically, he mentioned Jeff Lemire writing Marvel stuff. Um, it's so weird to me because as much as I like Jeff Lemire's, um, superhero stuff, it's his creator own stuff that I really respond to the most. However, uh, I think he's shown a good handle on, on family dynamics. So I think a Fantastic Four thing from him could be really, really great. Cause I think he, he knows how to work those things and he's very good at doing the importance of fathers and, and sons and, and those relationships, uh, and, and, uh, husband and wife as well so i think that could work uh 
really, really well uh, in in his uh, in his hands. So I think, I think he'd do a killer Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, absolutely. He would rock doing a Doctor Strange book. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Um, Steve, what about you? Uh, really quickly, the only thing that comes to mind, I would like to see uh, Jason Aaron on Animal Man. Mm. Uh, of all books, I think that he's. I mean, what he's doing right now with Thor is just epic as mm. all hell. I mean, it's it's three whole lifetimes within one story, and his his penchant for creatures and for you know injecting a little bit of humor every now and again. Uh, I think if you gave him Animal Man, so maybe even after Jeff Lemire, you know, mm. eventually steps away from the book that he could take it in a very playful and interesting direction while still keeping that epicness and that like those terrible creatures intact i think he could tell a cool story mm. oh matt fraction writing the flash that's what i uh, so mm. i would like to see uh stephanie what about you um this is an artist slash writer but um jh williams the third i'd like to mm. see him on aquaman okay um but like I think the art, if you've read Elegy and like even um, what's the first volume of uh, Batwoman? Hydrology? No. Yeah. Which, well, you mean the original arc or? No, the DC no, like 52 the is Hydrology. Yeah, Hydrology. Yeah, hydrology. Yes. yeah. Like those water panels and such, mm. they're like gorgeous. And I want to see more of that. And mm. I would like to see him draw Aquaman. But um, speaking writers specifically, I mm-hmm. think Kelly Sue DeConnick would be awesome on um, Batgirl. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd also like to see her on some other things that are not just like women focused. Yeah. Or women oriented. And, you know, keeping it in the Bat family, I think she would do an amazing Batman story, too. Yeah, I, I mean, think she could, you know, really put them through the ringer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think she could write a killer Justice League story. I like the way she handles the team stuff and Avengers Assemble a lot. I think she could do a really good job uh, with a Justice League story. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see um, maybe Mad Fraction on uh, Teen Titans. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. That book. Now. Make it happen. Yeah. That, that would could, be fucking awesome. That could be really cool. <laughs> I would love that. Oh, my God. Yes. That's the win right there for me. <laughs> Mad <laughs> Fraction writing Teen Titans would be amazing. Oh, my Good. God. Yes. Glad I thought of it. Yeah. Awesome. Let's, let's get it done. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call up Dan. <laughs> Our direct line to Dan Didio. Now we're just making noises. Yeah. All right. Uh, next. All right. Joseph Tremont would like to know, is it the responsibility of companies to keep a book like Captain Marvel that That's isn't selling question. or any other book like it on the shelves? I don't believe it's fair to hold a company accountable for a book that isn't being can- that isn't selling being canceled. It's, inter- it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. Bob, why don't you start out? I feel it's on a book like that that has an important demographic that it's servicing. It's not only responsible, it's good business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I yeah. understand that, that a book not selling at a certain point becomes a drag on everything else. Mm-hmm. But if you're not selling your books to a whole slice of the audience, and one is, and I guarantee the demographics mm-hmm. on that book specifically – are very much yeah. in the upper reaches of female selling books mm. through the big two. Yeah. It's good business to keep it going. Yeah. And that's what Axel Alonso said when he saw the five-year-old girl at the convention. I yeah. get it. I get it now. Yeah. Uh, you know, responsibility is a weird word, right? Because I don't think... They're not responsible to keep any book on the shelves if it's not selling. Their, their responsibility is, as a company, uh, you know, as, as whether it's 
Marvel slash Disney or DC or Image or whatever is to make sure that they will be a company in another 10 years. You know, mm-hmm. they, have to, they have to make sure that they keep getting published books. However, like Bob said, I think certain books, it makes sense to keep them on the shelves, even if they're not selling a tremendous amount, because it services a part of the audience that w- isn't normally serviced. Um, you know, I like if if Marvel decided to cancel Captain Marvel, we'd obviously all be very upset because we love that book. Um, but if Captain Marvel was selling 10,000 copies, it wouldn't be Marvel's fault that they cancel it. It'd be people's fault for not buying it. But like Bob is saying, there's it's just good business to keep a breadth of books uh, on the shelves at the same time. I don't know. I mean, see, what do you think? Uh, I mean, that's that's rough. I mean, I I keep thinking about uh, two books in particular. One of them being uh, Journey into Mystery mm-hmm. that was canceled and, and yanked, and mm-hmm. uh, Fearless Defenders. How that book is, you know, holding on not by not by a thread, but it's mm-hmm. it's in danger. Yeah, you know, every issue that comes out, we rave about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we we enjoy it and stuff, but. I don't know. I, I don't want to. Use, I hate to use the word blame because I don't. I don't. It's an ugly word. Mm. I don't know where. I don't know where the fault lies in whether it's the company that doesn't promote these books properly, the teams aren't known, so that hurts. I mean, I'm sure it's a bunch of things, but you know, we're going through a time now where there are. There's this big whole thing of like there needs to be quote unquote you know comics for females or comics mm. for girls or there needs to be more female heroes in the forefront. Both of those titles, Sif was is an incredible female heroine, and Fearless Defenders is chock full of them, but they're not selling, and they're not... I don't know if they're not being promoted correctly or what, but it's a shame that people are missing out on these titles, and these titles are in danger. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, think, I don't think Fearless Defenders or Journey of Mystery is any less promoted by Marvel than something like daredevil you don't you don't there's i think the same amount of space as far as marvel's dollars putting into the the advertising you know what i mean yeah. um and, and when it, it when it really comes down to it it's up to the people who buy the books to buy the mm-hmm. books that they that they want to support i mean i would imagine that a, a majority of the reason is because there's just there are so many books and there are so many great well, yeah, stories um, that people don't always have the money to take a chance on that one title that they they've heard about, but they just don't have the cash. Right. But in this, the end, that's it. Marvel, all Marvel or DC can do is put the books out and people have to decide how to spend their dollars. Like I'll say this, like the movement, I love the movement. Am I going to be like, Oh DC, what the hell are you doing when they, when they cancel it? 9, no, because it sells 9,000, 6,000 copies. It's going to happen. You know, yeah. no part um, of it. So oh, let's have any jump in. Yes. Let's have any yeah. jump in. I just want to say something on the promotion part of this. I mean, there's only so much promotion you can do for comic books. I mean, yeah. you're trying to you're speaking Steve directly about, you know, bring leaving that market open for female readers, but if they're not if to that point they're only reading something like Captain Marvel or that person hypothetically would only be interested in something like Captain Marvel, where else are they going to hear about that except for word of mouth? Mm-hmm, I mean, right. that's not the fault of the publisher because no. what are you, they're not going to take out a TV ad. It's just mm. not a thing they're going to do. Read yeah. Captain Marvel. No, I mean, yeah. like it's I mean, but I'm just saying there's not a lot of options outside of word of mouth for yeah. these books to get out there. So, they're at a bit of a, you know, impasse where they can't kind of like you know, there's only limited options for how they can tell people about these series. And right. it's a little unfair that, you know, 
they they don't have more options but there's just you know that's yeah. just the way it is yeah i mean i just wish that there i mean when you, i think about it in, in terms of music of of having to find music outside of you know what you hear on the radio outside of the top 40 that you actually these days you have to work to find you know bands that you like that are kind of off the radar at the same time that people have to talk to people and get involved and find other comics that they could jump onto and you know take a chance Mm -hmm. you know it'd it'd be nice yeah i mean that comes down to the person though obviously yeah Yeah. I, i think we're one of the other things here is we are in the early stages of a news cycle that just ended the 90s bad girl mm. stupid stuff that went on for more than a decade. The marketplace has been changed by that. It has been narrowed to mostly men mm. and mostly of a certain age. And to combat that, there are going to be some casualties along yeah, the way as books that, that like Journey into Mystery just don't find an audience where two or three years down the road, that might have found mm-hmm. that audience and been a big hit. Now, I'm not saying you need to keep a book going for years and years and years, but Marvel recently did the crossover, the enemy within with the mm-hmm. Avengers back and forth with Captain Marvel, and it made a difference in the sales. Yeah, absolutely. So that sort of promotion, if it can boost it 20%, mm-hmm. and then we may have, as we've talked about, there may be a relaunch where you renumber it yeah. and get people back on, mm-hmm. and some of that could have happened to Sif maybe right, come well, after the next Thor movie. Yeah, it could still happen. You know, right. it's not like they, it's not like right. they, I mean, it's they off could the table always completely. bring her back, but I mean... And Jason Aaron's doing what he's doing. He's doing wonderful things with Thor, but wouldn't it have been cool to have had like a small three-issue arc with Thor just to pull those people in, see her character, mm-hmm. and then follow her in, on to Journey into Mystery? Well, no, absolutely. But uh, but again, that it's, this is the double-edged sort of, uh, I think, all dedicated fandom. That would have been nice, but there would have been a section where would have been like, I don't want to buy this other book. Right. Like what? What it, we all say it every time. There's a crossover mm-hmm. event. You know what I mean? So it gets a little bit. It gets a little bit dicey there with, with stuff like that. Although it obviously, you're also not going to ask Jason Aaron to stop his story that he's telling. Right. To bring on just to, to help this other book. You know, uh, I, I think that Journey to Mystery really more than it being Sif was hurt by the fact that it was. 658 yeah. you know that's that's what hurt yeah. that more the than anything else yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. agree with yeah. that I mean even when Kieran Gillen was writing it it was not getting giant numbers it was just so well liked that it was a book they were going to keep going you know because it was such a critically acclaimed book um, it's, a, it's a very very good question Stephanie mm-hmm. I don't know if you have anything more to add I don't uh, think so I think you guys kind of covered everything okay. there cool. so um, I'll move on to the next question from John R. Poglumba um and he kind of asked this a while ago, I guess, but we never answered. Sorry, we get a lot of questions. We don't mean to, you know, ignore questions. We just seriously sometimes they're overwhelming, <laughs> but in a good way. In a very good way. Um, but he wants to know: Are there any good Riddler story arcs out there that aren't zero year? Do so, we know of any? So other than hmm. the new stuff, I mean, Bob, you can probably. Oh, the first episode of the TV show is based on yeah a very good Riddler story where he. Basically, sues Batman to stop him from being <laughs> oh, Batman. Oh, that Riddler. <laughs> you know, he was very, very wry even then. Mm. I do seem to remember there being a really great Alan Davis one. Okay. I may be terribly misremembering this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google Riddler Alan Davis yeah, right now see if and I'm see right. what comes up. Middle 80s? Early okay. middle 80s? Hmm. Somehow. Hmm. I'm not seeing anything right now, but I'm going to keep okay. looking. It could be me. I could be <laughs> messing this up terribly. You could, you, you could be... Um, uh, it it could be yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not gonna keep looking. I'll no. look in a second. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of not so up on uh, on uh, Riddler's stories. He's like Steve was saying before. He's a character that I mean I know obviously and, and I like, but because he has been absent from a lot of the current stuff that I've been reading and also a lot of stuff I went back and read the stuff of the last like five or six years, he wasn't a big presence in that stuff either. So I don't have a ton uh, of experience with him. Um, I mean, one of my only experiences with him outside of uh, Batman is the uh, Gotham City Sirens series. Actually, he's a featured character in that he is the landlord of he owns the building that the girls are staying in and poison wow. ivy what oh carry on well what? no 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 carry am on. i wrong well yeah no but i can't I do, isn't he kind of held hostage in that yeah. situation <laughs> but he oh eventually... i was gonna say it, landlord seems like a generous term for that <laughs> <laughs> well he owns he's he is being held hostage poison ivy has basically fused him to the couch and all the pheromones are are going into his he's you know in a in a hypnotized state but eventually in the story something happens where he he breaks out of that and he becomes more of a prominent character in the second in the second book in the second arc or run of that series oh. he he plays a much bigger role in kind of messing with them for messing with him kind of thing gotcha yeah. um i don't remember it enough to be like go out and go check it but if you're just looking for stuff that he's involved in he does show up in that series as well Well, he really was a more minor part of the rogues gallery he came in much later Mm -hmm. uh, later really late 40s 47 i think it was 47 48 and he became prominent because of frank gorsh and the television show Mm -hmm. and the reason they he's on that first episode is that was a current storyline when they were prepping the show is, well, he's in the book, so we use him. And right. that, so from that point on, he was a major character, but he probably had a half a dozen appearances in the 20 years previous. Right. Mm-hmm. And check out uh, Batman, the animated series. I mean, if you haven't seen it, there are some mm-hmm. awesome, awesome yeah. Riddler episodes. Yeah, in absolutely. That series. I, mean, I was just looking up like good Riddler stories. I was trying to find some stuff for him just to walk away from the, from this. And it, it says, uh, uh, Paul Dini did some stuff with him on detective. They said any of that stuff, uh, Issues 822 and 845 that Dini wrote, which are Riddler-focused, uh, said they were great. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, there was a... Apparently, he's a big player in Hush by Jeff Loeb. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Also in Dark Victory by Jeff Loeb, um, which uh, got uh, m- multiple mentions here. Um, there's something called Dark Knight City, which was written by Peter Milliken and Peter Milligan in the late '80s, early '90s. That people listed a few times on this, and this is a CBR board. So I'm I'm looking at um right now. And they also mentioned a Brave and the Bold team up story with Batman and the Riddler. Uh, that Don Heck might have been the artist was the oh, artist on '70s. Yeah. yeah. So those are some things. You know, he's a character definitely that I I would like to know more about. You know, the funny thing was the the first time. I really was like, wow, the Riddler is a pretty cool character was playing Batman Arkham. Oh, you got Arkham damn it. City. I've been trying to say that for like the last like five minutes. I've Sorry. been like, eh, Sorry. Eh. Go ahead, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, but why did you think he was cool in those games? I, I didn't get to say that, so go ahead. Oh, no. He just like, he plays, he's not a major character in it, but he does like a lot of those side missions and you kind of get a lot of like his sort of like mischievous side as opposed to sort of really truly villainous but mm. i think that's more 
in my eyes, like that's more Riddler to me is mischief as opposed to, you know, true mayhem. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's like the Loki of DC. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, what I always liked about the Riddler, the idea of the Riddler was that he would he would rather be he would go out of his way to be almost unsuccessful to get his you know his to make something a riddle. You know he mm-hmm. would uh, he would take the hard way around and you know flirt with the fact that his plan would not work if it wasn't staged in the most elaborate. Uh, intellectual way he possibly could do it. He needs to prove he's smarter than the world's greatest detective yeah. at every turn. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is a great dynamic to have. You know, he's more concerned with being smarter th- than Batman than he is with killing Batman, yeah. which I think is is a is a very um, fun character dynamic to, very, to play around with. Very Professor Moriarty in that. Yeah, part. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> you see a little bit too in, in uh, was the Death of the Family where he's kind of like, this is a little too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where the stuff that Joker is doing, basically his stance. This is a little bit too much, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, very, very good question. What do we got next, Stephanie? Um, so keeping with um, recommendations, Declan Glasgow, Glasgow, Glasgow wants to know, what are the best Thor stories, arcs, or creative team-ups on the character? There isn't... Uh, I th- Oh, there isn't one that comes immediately to mind like Batman's uh, Dark Knight Returns or Captain America's Winter Soldier. So anyone know any good Thor sure. shenanigans? Sure. Yeah. Right away in this more modern era, you go for Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. It's Thor 337. Mm-hmm. It's Beta Ray Bill. Whole, who's worthy of holding the hammer? And basically everything Walt did on Thor right. is more than worth reading. It's just great and stuff. Walt yeah. and Louise because of their work in Thor, actually make a cameo in the movie. Oh, I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. They, they're in um, the scene in um, the throne room. Huh. If oh. you actually like, watch, you can see them. They're all like dressed up with all the Asgardians. That's very cool. Oh, I did not know that. For that. Very, very cool. Yeah. So, true story, guys. <laughs> I've only read a bit of that, but... It- you know, people who are reading stuff now, you might have seen it. His work with, of Thor in the Instructable Hulk, yes, uh, two issue arc that they did uh, together. So, yeah, that's definitely the one I think you should check out. I mean, Steve, obviously, you've been loving the new stuff, the Jason Aaron stuff. Yeah, I mean, all of the the new Marvel now Thor has been incredible, down to the art, to the epicness of the story. Like I said, you're dealing with Thor in three different lifetimes all coming together in one story and the villain is huge Mm -hmm. huge uh great great stuff and i believe a lot of people praise uh matt fractions yeah who was doing it before the marvel now stuff yeah um did for a couple of years i haven't gotten to i own all of it but i haven't gotten the chance to sit down with it yet yeah and he obviously intersects with the journey to mystery stuff that was going on then too there's some pretty big thor stuff yep uh in there as well so that's some that's some slightly older stuff and some newer stuff that you can check out with, with That's Thor. That's right. The um, Journey into Mystery, the, the Thor stuff, the Thor and Loki stuff, some of that was really incredible. Yeah, really great stuff in, in, that, in that run. Um, Just got flashbacks. <laughs> uh, Stephanie? Um, are we next question? Well, or or unless you had a Thor story you oh, wanted I don't. to impart. Okay. I mean, I think you kind of, Walt Simonson and mm-hmm. company. The, the cameo was her contribution. Yeah. No, but that good was one. my contribution, but I'm agreeing with Bob. <laughs> Thank you. Anyways, Snarky. <laughs> it's been a while. Come on. So, take, take I know. I feel like extra snark. It's like 
or as my friend Danny would say, it's a quarter to sass. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, there's next question. No one, there's no one in the place, you know. Okay, let's go down that road. Um, so keeping with the character questions, Kenyatta A. Poe wants to know, or says, Red Robin was a successful ongoing series with Tim Drake before the New 52. Do you think DC will bring that series back maybe with Francis Manipal and Brian Bucciolato? Please, um. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the series before the New 52, the Chris Yost uh, run, was freaking awesome. Um, that character is obviously a lot different now than he was at that point. Uh, that That very much had to do with start out with the fallout with Batman being gone and Damien supplanting Tim as Robin. So there was a, a lot of uh, stuff happening with, with, with that character there. Uh, I mean, I would love to see a, an ongoing series. And I think Brian Bichelotto, Francis Mepple, that would be awesome. I mean, he's one of my favorite characters in, in the world. So I would love to see that. Whether they'll do that, I'm not sure because they seem to be, he seems to be one of those characters where I'm even surprised he's in the universe, to be quite honest with you. Like, I feel like, uh, except for in the hands of a, a writer here or there, mostly when he appears in backups in Batman or, or, or stuff like that, he's been a character that's been, I think, rather mistreated in, in the new 52. Um, so I don't think that you'll be seeing getting a solo series, and also because he headlines Teen Titans. So I don't, I don't know if as if his a solo series with him would be where you'd go, uh, but I would love to see that very very much i don't know if anybody else has an opinion i don't know if anybody else has the tim drake love no no i think you yeah <laughs> all right well um zachary alexander um has sort of a two-part question so what classic comic book story do you reread at least once a year um and do you reread your comics after you're done with them hmm. bob I don't specifically read anything. I do that with movies where yeah. things fall into place. It's it's the anniversary of some event and the movie that goes with it or a movie that actually came out on the day was born in 1956. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh, go watch you know, The Indestructible Man because I'm just weird. <laughs> but I am so often in the archives for either for the show here or for an article I'm writing. I'm rereading old stuff constantly, and they generally show up here on the table on top right, of everything yeah. else. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm always in the in the back room pulling through old stuff, and then ending up sitting on the floor, you know, in the in the wrong light, trying to read comic books as if I'm still eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I reread a lot. So I'm I'm all for that, but nothing specifically. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Stephanie, what about you? Um, it depends. I mean, I don't think I have anything that I reread regularly. Um, but every now and again, I'll get a hankering for something to go back to. And it's usually sort of uh, one-off things. Like, it's not, you know, oh, I'm going to read the first arc of, you know, X-Men. Like, it's it's usually something that really like kind of spoke to me, like a graphic novel. Or, um, you know, like something like Tale of Sand. Or, uh, of course, I'm drawing a blank. I mean, Hark of Hagrid is... Mm-hmm you know, a coffee table book that I will like never put away adventures of superhero girl. Um, mostly like lighthearted things, I think. And every now and again, when I want to, um, remember things about a character, I mean, I've read the Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl run. Like, I don't even know how many times now. Um, and I've read runaways numerous times and, uh, Brian K. Vaughn's pride of Baghdad. Um, It's depressing, but so good. It's so, um, so beautiful. Uh, but, I mean, 
there's nothing that <coughs> is just like sort of, sorry, uh, there, there's just sort of things that I come back to when the mood strikes me. Same with movies. I mean, there's not really a lot of seasonal movies or comics. Like, there's some Batman Little Gotham stuff that's really kind of seasonal and fun, and they have the Halloween um, comics, and I think they have a Christmas one and a, all that. But it's not like a movie where, you know, I'm going to sit down and watch a Christmas story every year. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, I, I... Haven't been reading comics regularly enough for long enough to say there's something I'd read every year. You know, it's only been really the last two years I've really mm-hmm. been, you know, heavily in, invested in in doing this. Um, uh, I do. It, for me, it's specific to characters, and and if something's happening kind of in the, the 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 newer stuff that we're reading that I want to be up on, or I want to compare to something. I'll go back and read something I've read. Like the thing I probably most read the most in the year in the couple years we've been doing this has probably been Killing Joke. I've read that a few times. I read it kind of uh, when we first started doing this when I was first getting into the Batman stuff, and then I also read it uh, during Death of the Family, you know, and stuff like that. So that's something I read a a, a bunch. But those are more things I just read, I kind of read before we started doing this. So just books that that I, that I enjoy. You know, quite a bit. Like Bob said, I'm much more like that about movies or, or something like that that I'll I'll pick up and I'll watch something every year uh, that strikes my fancy. But with books, there hasn't really been anything yet that I would say I would I would, I would read yearly. Uh, Steve, what about you? Uh, I mean, pretty much the same that you guys are mm-hmm. saying that it's you know whenever the mood strikes. But as far as things that I've read uh, more than once in the two years that we've been doing this pretty hardcore, uh, I've read Lock and Key all the way through about mm-hmm. three times. Uh, I've read uh, Jonathan Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four into FF. Uh, I read twice uh, all the way through. Morning Glories is something that I constantly revisit. And uh, Mind Management is Mm. the other one. Mm. Oh, and Strange uh, Strange Attractors by Charles Soule. Uh, I ate that up Mm -hmm. like a plate of pancakes. (laughs) (laughs) It was... uh, It's an intense read. I I really, really enjoy it. And... uh, in most recent rereading comic book stuff, uh, I am going to be very shortly be sitting down with uh, Days of Future Past mm. uh, to reread that for something special. Cool. You'll find out. Awesome. Oh, I'll have um, to pull it out myself <laughs> and find it in the box. Uh, I've got a, a question here from Casey Crawford. He says, uh, what separates an all-ages comic from a children's comic? The line seems quite blurred, yet they shouldn't be the same thing. Uh, Stephanie, what do you think? Sorry, what was the one more time? Sorry. It's okay. What separates an all-ages comic from a children's comic? The line seems quite blurred, yet they shouldn't be the same thing. Um, I mean, there's... The kids' comics, I think, um, I mean, they need to cater to a young audience as well as... I don't know. A kids' comic is hard to do because, like, books are split up very specifically it's like this is like young readers this is for you know and the glorified sort of picture books where if you scribble on them you know whatever and then you know you have like from three to five and then from five to seven and i think it just really varies because the younger you are you just want sort of bright things and like just simple stories you know very minimal words and um, i think it's hard to find a comic that's for a very young audience Mm mm-hmm um, I think that's a lot of where the line gets blurred because it's also a very, very small audience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it, it, I'm, I'm kind of getting lost in my thoughts it's here, but I think like all yeah. ages, um, you know, do you want me, to, you want me to move on? You want me to pass yeah, it off? Yeah, I'm trying then? to kind of compose my. Okay, we'll compose and we'll it. come back to you, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, Bob, what about you? I believe all ages goes about as far down as reading. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that a. Though I started reading comics at, at sort of five and six years old, I've been told I was a little ahead of the curve. But <laughs> I would say that quite honestly, from about the age of seven or eight, you should be able to read an all-ages comic book, and as they always describe this in, from those eras, seven- or eight-year-old can read the book and, and get a complete story that they mm. can understand, but that a 14-year-old gets something else, an adult something else again. It's a very layered way of writing. It's very hard to do. Yeah. But it was done, and was done successfully for many, many years. And it, But even in those years, underneath that were Little Lulu and mm-hmm. Casper and all those things, for the really young ones who are doing just what Stephanie described, attracting kids with colors, minimal words, fun action. The Disney books were that way. The Disney were slightly more all ages, mm. particularly Donald and Scrooge were always, you know, grownups had lots of interest in those. There is a way to do it. It can be done. It is a difficult question to answer because we're in a different marketplace now than yeah. then. Yeah, I think Bob hit on the nail head. I mean, I think... If you put it in kind of other entertainment terms, you know, something for kids is more something like Teletubbies, you know, where you're you're getting a lot of surface and maybe you're getting some good messages layered in there a little bit and something, but it's very simple and it's very difficult for someone who's older to intake that stuff and be entertained by it. It's made specifically for a kid's sensibility and the things that kids find entertaining, you know, whereas an all ages thing, I mean, I think the perfect example of all ages in their best work is probably what Pixar does, right? You watch something like Wall-E, and it's a robot uh, flying around in space, but obviously it's this giant social commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something obviously like Up, which is this like devastating, you know, treaties on aging and, and obviously this uplifting thing about what it means to be alive and all these things, but it's also just. A, a fun movie about you know a guy goes on an adventure and fights the bad guy and and all that stuff like that. So, uh, it, you know th- that I think that's where the line is. I think like Bob said, there's something else going on in all ages. It's something that I could read and get enjoyment out of. It might be, it might not be the same enjoyment that a nine year old is getting out of it, but we can still both enjoy it in equal measure. Mm-hmm. Whereas something for kids is something that's just made for kids. That yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's what it's made for. So I think worries. a lot of the time, um, things like a lot of the stuff that Art Balthazar mm-hmm. uh, Art does, you know, like Itty Bitty Hellboy and all that, kids can enjoy that at face value without really. Because again, like the bright colors and there's dramatic actions. And um, I know lots of little kids that love things like My Little Pony, but. You know, I read a lot of comics to, well, I, I haven't really been over there lately and I'm terrible. But um, when I do hang out with my little cousins, I read them comics and books and stuff. And a lot of the fun for young kids is having things read to them in voices mm-hmm. and, you know, the bright colors and just kind of putting on a show for kids. And, you know, the kids can see what's happening and they can visualize it and it, it it's stuff that you can read without feeling like weird and uncomfortable and not having to explain anything. Right. Yeah. Steve. 
Um, this qu- it's funny. This question it only makes me wish that JL Eight was something that just thinking could that. be, mm-hmm. you know, massively distributed in print to to kids and parents alike. I think both parties would would find an in, infinite infinite well of entertainment and and laughs and tears and everything from that web comic it's just wonderful it covers all bases uh i believe it's something mm-hmm. for for fa- old fans of the characters it's it's cute enough for kids it's easy mm-hmm. enough to read for kids and the the situations or the the way that the story plays out it's all like in and around that age of like nine, eleven, like seven to eleven years old, I would say, with mm-hmm. you know the little birthday parties and all of that stuff, they can all relate to it, and it's still it's all heroes being heroes in their own way, and the parents will will see the you know little pieces of that little reflections of those characters that they grew up with and that they love. There's so many little nods and shades of that within mm-hmm. that comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do I do agree that it is very blurred and it is a very difficult thing to achieve to write something for everyone while not uh, playing to either well not weighing in on either side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, books like Itty Bitty Hellboy and a lot of stuff from like Oh Yeah Comics or from uh, Franco and Balthazar. Mm-hmm. Uh, very it would catch a kid's eye because of the colors and how zany it is. But at the same time, underneath some of the jokes and some of the the commentary and the underlying story, it serves both parties. Right. But it's just you look at it and it looks like a kid's book. Yeah. Well, we had on well, you did on mm. Friday, I guess it was Jeremy yeah. Whitley. Yeah. Uh, Princeless, which is the same sort of thing where it's dragons and fighting and mm. all sorts of fun stuff that you could just look at. But the amount of attention to detail of making sure the right story is told with the right message. For everyone, mm-hmm. dad or mom could sit with their daughter or son, read that book, both get something out of it. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, the funny you, you bring up JLA, and the funny thing about JLA is I read JLA, and I can obviously see by the art style and stuff that it could be for kids. But when I read it, I don't even think about the fact that kids would be reading the, the, the strip, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of adult themes happening there just done in, in ways, obviously, that everyone can enjoy. Uh, I think the problem really comes in that people tend to look at all of those books as books just for kids. That's when it becomes an issue. Um, It's a very, very good question. Um, This is the question I got an email actually from Enrique and it says, um, and I think Bob, you'll probably be able to answer this possibly better than any of us. Um, Here we go again. The pressure's on. uh, No, he did a question subject. Maybe you all can give your thoughts on uh, what was your experience with wizard magazine? Uh, I enjoyed it for a while in the early aughts, but I have heard that, there was a bit of backlash and hatred towards the magazine by creators and some section of comic fans. Before it became an entertainment weekly knockoff, I enjoyed the articles and interviews with comic creators. Uh, I never got into Comic Buyer's Guide or Back Issue, and I feel that UK publication Comic Heroes lacks some of the in-depth articles that Wizard would sometimes have. In this digital age, I know that a print version of a comic book magazine will not make a comeback, but I'm certainly hoping it would. Thanks again for the good work. Here's the thing. Wizard had pluses. Mm-hmm. Wizard had many minuses. They were very, oh, it, it hurts to say it this way. They're, let's just say they were beholden to image. And it was a very symbiotic relationship. 
Oh, oh, the heck with it. Look, Wizard, in a way, promoted <laughs> the speculator marketplace that ruined this entire industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, guys. Mm, there it is. <laughs> they printed their own price guide within every issue, and the books that went up the most, amazingly, were, you know, Spawn number one is now $4,000. It came out last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you had a, if you had the one in the black bag with the hologram glow-in-the-dark, blah-blah-blah cover. And for so for all the great interviews they did, all the great news pieces, and it was a very good news magazine, it was trying to serve two masters. And for those people who were fans of older books, fans of normal collecting, creators of regular books from regular companies and, and veteran creators, they all felt a little left out of the party. And when the party all came to a crashing halt, as if it was Fatty Arbuckle in the 20s, you know, and drunken orgies in the upstairs bedrooms, the whole, the, it all fell picture. apart. I'm sorry. I will, I will no, shut no, up No, 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 please. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> um, they had a space. Back Issue is a wonderful magazine if you love old stuff, as is Alter Ego. Mm-hmm. Comic Buyer's Guide was a great weekly newspaper. That gave you up-to-date news each and every week, and all his creators and lovely columns, and Peter David and John Jackson Miller, who runs Comicron. Mm-hmm. And they went monthly to be Image, and it killed them, to be Wizard, rather. Mm-hmm. It killed them, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's before my time. I mean, I, I remember picking up issues of Wizard magazine when I was a kid sometimes because it was the comic book magazine, mm-hmm. you know. Right. But I have no – all I know is stories about it. Then the stories that never seem very positive to me. Um, I actually used to collect Wizard magazine oh, really? when I was growing up. Yeah. I don't know what the hell happened to them, but I mm. had well over 100 issues. Oh, wow. I collected mm. for, yeah, for a while. But it's, it's weird. I, I was very uh, – I was very much more of the visual than mm. about story when I was growing up. And – for me, Wizard was almost like like comic book porn in a sense <laughs> of that it was all the toys. It was that you know at the time, and you know me being you know naive and and young and liking what I liked at the time, that the image look with Spawn and all of that stuff. Like a lot of my friends were into it, but that was like the edgy stuff, and it was full of that. That it did mm-hmm. cater very much to Image and to Spawn. I mean. For all the wizard issues that I had, all I remember are the ones with Spawn on the cover. <laughs> uh, and another another thing that Bob was mentioning about the price guide in the back was it was always interesting to open up and go to the back and just to see what like what went for the most money or mm-hmm. if somebody had something laying around. And it was like every month you would have daydreams of what you would do if you had the wherewithal to actually have these comics and trade them in for that money what would you do with that money right um so yeah it was i was all about that and i was all about the uh marvel masterpiece cards <laughs> i had every last one of those things and they were beautiful yeah got some of those at home yeah too. so my Honestly, yeah that, so joe jesco yeah interesting yeah. differing like just the different ages and the different generational thing with the with wizard magazine and as far as its relevancy now and it coming back i mean it's never going to come back those things are never going to happen anymore uh at least in the form that they were known and the thing is like um you know listen print magazines have their their perks and the the kind of creative and editorial control and can be a very good thing because you have a arbiter of taste who's making sure that just everything can't be thrown out at you at, at one time but 
nowadays there are so many places and so many awesome ways you can get these interviews. Like, there's got to be more access to the people who write and draw these things now than there's ever been in the history mm-hmm. of the industry. You know what I mean? Like, we get to talk to the top writers and the artists in the industry. So there's so many places and so many websites you can go to. Um, obviously, there's because anybody can make one. There's most definitely a ton of shitty ones, but there's also uh, a, a bunch of really, really good ones, and you know there are Benny, uh, Benny, plenty of people out there in plenty of ways. If you want, Benny. and Benny too, and I Benny like his, too, yeah, I got um, five kids to feed. Uh, <laughs> if you, uh, you know, if you want, just interview after interview, interview after interview after interview. Um, uh, Word Balloon uh, is an awesome podcast. Uh, uh, he's I can't remember his name right now. His name is John. He's a former uh, CBR. Yes. Yes, Sutris, I think that's his name. Former CBR guy. He just all he does is put an interview podcast every week. It's just it's like five interviews or three interviews. Uh and there there there's been some I listened to one with Judd Winnick not that long ago. Uh really interesting to hear him talk after we said so much about Catwoman just to hear him talk about the reaction and what happened and, and stuff like that. So there's so many places you can get that stuff now, you know, and hunt that stuff down. It it it's it's a really cool time to be looking at the, this kind of stuff. And plus, there's less chance, there's more ways to avoid the BS of the kind of... Because yes. Wizard, Wizard is a business that had to run, it had to publish a magazine, it had to make money. So there's things it has to do to to yeah. to curtail to advertisers and the people who help it make money. Hey, once they found that audience, they yeah. ran with it. Yeah. And- their, since their mantras make money, you yeah. do that. Now you have a bunch of places which, for better or for worse, don't aren't in it to make money. They're just in it to give content. Mm-hmm. So you can find some stuff that's more up your alley. Um, Stephanie, I don't know if you ha- if you've ever even read Wizard or have any opinions. I don't want to cut you out. Um, I've looked through Wizard like recently, like mm. last year. But I mean, I didn't own them. It was just kind of going through old, you know, comics and being like, oh, this is what it would have been like. Right. <laughs> I was pretending to be Bob. <laughs> um, you do a good job. Uh, Thank you. Oh, this is an email here from Joseph, and he says, Since we're getting Invaders number one, all new Invaders number one, and Marvel now phase two, would you guys be up for an Excalibur number one, Tales of Suspense, or Tales to Astonish number one? Um, he, I, I, I love these ideas of Marvel going back to its roots. Um, Bob? I'd love Excalibur. It has to be Alan Davis. Right. But... Since the characters are scattered all over the place, but Excalibur was Nightcrawler, Captain Britain, Kitty mm-hmm. Pride, Rachel Summers. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Astonish and which one, Journey? Suspense. Uh, okay. They were horror books in the 50s and very early 60s and then became the home for the Marvel heroes. Mm-hmm. That Journey into Mystery didn't sell might have been the title as well as the numbering, but I think if you had Tales to Astonish and told science fiction stories tales mm. of suspense and did horror heroes did mm. the werewolf by night or son of satan and did yeah. some of those sort of things yeah i think it could definitely work you could do small arcs within an overriding title yeah get good creative teams great i think yes yeah there was a Axel alonzo tweeted an interesting little picture he said revolution is coming next year and it was this little i was this here this this character I'd never seen before. I don't know who it was, um, but it looked like they were standing on a Union Jack uh, flag, and it was just this one. And there was a character behind you could kind of see. You couldn't really see who it was. Uh, hmm. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if anything to do with Excalibur, but 
maybe hopefully at least we'll get some Captain Britain core or something, which would be pretty cool. Some mystical some. F- fighting stuff. <laughs> Stuffs. Um, I don't know if you got, have any opinion. Um, I am not familiar at all with, with Excalibur. Excalibur I have is no idea what it is. Absolutely great book. What's it the was, idea behind it? It's after some of the X-Men have died mm. and some end up in, in England. Captain Always. Britain, of course, is the embodiment of the British spirit and mm. so on. And it's his the woman who would become his wife, Megan, who you saw in the uh, Hunt issue, the girl in the green suit and the blonde hair. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, She's yeah. an elemental sprite. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sister, Betsy, who you know is Psylocke, was yes. in the book in her original guise. Mm. And some you know slumming X-Men. Mm-hmm. It got very science fiction-y. It got to other dimensions and X-Babies and Arcade and Mojo and time travel. Mm-hmm. And completely and utterly loopy, always fun. Even when it was dark, it was light. Alan Davis is just a brilliant artist and writer. He and wrote it as well. Right, and he was on Captain Britain before mm. when it first came out. Hmm. He, was, he had two long runs on the book. Uh, one, he drew one to 24 and came back and then wrote two more years. And then the book went down the drain. <laughs> uh, it, it was the 90s. It got very grim, and it started mm. getting drawn funny. And there's some good people on it, but mm. they were following the market. Right. Check out the Alan Davis, Alan Davis Excalibur. You'll, you'll, want an, you'll want another one. Yeah. All those characters, I would love, love to see them in a book. So yeah. that is very interesting Yeah, no, that sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, – he says on a sidebar, I think it's absolutely criminal to have X-Men books without Byrne, Adams, or Davis on art duties. <laughs> He's after your heart, Bob. Yeah, I sold. Sold <laughs> to, on, on all three of those. It is the, the, the Claremont Byrne X-Men is the height of that. And that's, I'm, look, I'm a Stan and Jack guy. Mm-hmm. Claremont and Byrne on X-Men is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest runs of any book ever that the three years or so that they did are just amazing. Art Adams doesn't do enough work. He's just very meticulous. There are 47,000 lines per square inch mm-hmm. of absolutely brilliant work. But you're seeing his covers on the X-Books right now. That's yeah. Art Adams. Yeah. It's a great stuff. The Battle of the Atom cover, right? Yep. is Art Adams. It's awesome. Awesome cover. Um, Stephanie, let's do one more, and then we're going to wrap this up. All right. So um, let's see. Repstones. Uh, he wants to know, hypothetically speaking, so I guess, you know, he probably doesn't really want our house to burn down. But if your house was on fire, you know, burning down, and you have time to grab one book or series, what and why? Hmm. Well, I've done this already. Oh, yeah, I've already. I, I, got my, I have my answer. What is it? Uh, my answer would be my uh, The Sword number one variant cover that was given to me by our friend uh, Rob Newmeyer. Mm-hmm. Regular, you know, tour comics and regular dude. Uh, it was, like I said, it's it's for sentimental reasons. The friendship that I formed with him, the the gates, the floodgates that he opened comic wise for me uh, have just been tremendous. And he's he's an incredible dude. And when he gave me that book and started me off on what is one of my favorite stories in comics of all time uh the sword is just absolutely for me it's 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 amazing i mean i'm sure people can have their opinions of it but uh really really powerful stuff and that that first issue just punched me right in the gut and when he he gave me he's like oh i have something for you and he handed that to me and there's almost nothing different about it from the regular cover i think it's got like 
like uh, where the price is, there's a circle around it, <laughs> and like that's it. But just the sentimentality towards that. If I had to grab one issue out of my out of my room, it would be that, and then I would grab my cat and run. Cool. <laughs> Well, during each of the last two summers, we've had hurricanes here, Mm -hmm. Irene and Sandy. I was told to evacuate both times, Mm -hmm. though I didn't the last time since the first time didn't go so well. So I actually did take a box of comics with Mm -hmm. me to somebody else's house, and it was fantastic for one to 200. And during Sandy was sitting on the couch next to me in case I had to leave. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Stephanie, what about you? Um... I I have like I mean I don't have a ton of really like sentimental things. I have a lot of things I've collected from conventions and stuff and single issues and I don't have a lot of like big runs on things, but one of my prized possessions in terms of series is um I have the first two volumes of the abominable Charles Christopher in like the velvet covers with um original sketches done in them by Ooh. Carl Kershaw. Oh wow, mm, that's really cool. So, I mean, I think those would probably be pretty, you know, up there on my list of things to covet and protect. Mm. And then she would grab her little mermaid clock. That I <laughs> yeah, it's in front of me right now. Awesome. Beside cool. uh, some flowers that Oma brought me. Nice. <laughs> um, I literally do not have a single book that I would think to grab when I was running out. I just don't have anything that's has that sentimental value or that... Um, this is a one of a kind type of value to it that I would that I would grab and, and run out with. So That's my sad. answer, it's not sad. I just <laughs> it is. it's very sad. No, it's not. I'm I have kidding. I have other things that I would, that I would grab, but that's not. I can see I you going down your stairs with your map of Middle Earth. No, I think I would let that go. To be quite honest <laughs> with you, that I feel like that would be the death of me. It's like a ju- it's so big. <laughs> I don't know how I, I would get out of the. I would probably grab one of my lost posters because they're kind of like one of a kind things. They were made special. They're like they're special prints. I don't understand what he was doing. I mean, he yeah. could have made it out. Yeah, yeah. But he, he couldn't get out the he door with this giant. <laughs> Maybe grab the the trunk with all the podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Ah, grab, definitely grab my computer. I'm not fucking around right there. <laughs> Thing. <laughs> I'd either my grab computer. my hard drives or I would throw them directly into the fire so that nobody could. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> no one will know. Oh, I have strict instructions in case anything ever happens to me. <laughs> yeah, just like smoke starts coming out. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like a Ready Player One. Um. All right. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for getting in contact with us and leaving us all those questions. Obviously, we went through so many. We did this for, you know, an hour and t- almost an hour and 20 minutes, and there's still more left that we could have gone through. So thank you very much, guys. A lot of you guys asked origin questions and some other questions really about kind of uh, who, who we are, who we are and stuff about the podcast. And we want to answer those, but we're going to answer those at the 100th episode. We feel like that's the time to do it. Um, we've done it before, but that I feel like there's a time where we can really do it and lay it down. Uh, it's our annual. It's our annual. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, Double sized issue. So yeah, and uh, thank you to everybody uh, who's coming to that, and everyone, everyone who's listened for all these years. We'll do all our big thank yous and stuff uh, next week uh, on that show. But again, guys, I said it earlier, but that was a long time ago, so you might have forgotten by now. If anybody else wants to come, you might be hearing this on Wednesday, you might be hearing this on Thursday, you might be hearing this on Friday morning, uh, email me, uh, podcast at, uh, actually, bobby at talkingcomicbooks.com, 100th episode in the subject line, because we do have one or two spots that just opened up. Um, all right, so let's do what's on the shelves uh, right 
now. Uh, from Avatar Press, we have Crossed Special 2013. From Boom Studios, we have Adventure Time number 20, Bravest Warriors number 12, Clive Barker's Hellraiser, The Dark Watch number 8, Grace Randolph's Superbia number 11, um, and Six Gun Gorilla number 4 of 6. Itty bitty Hellblazer would be fun. That would be amazing. <laughs> I am, yes. If I have the money to get a commission from Art and Franco, it will be an itty bitty John Constantine. The little cigarette in his mouth, yeah. maybe a candy cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> um, from Dark Horse Comics, we've got VPRD Hell on Earth number 111, uh, which is like a fire part two of five. Buzzkill number one of four. Conan the Barbarian number 20. Dream Thief number five of five. Kiss Me Satan, number one. Um, we've got Star Wars Dark Times, A Spark Remains, number three. Uh, and Strain the Fall, number three. It's a very dramatic title. Yes, it is. Ooh. It's a very dramatic title. <laughs> a Spark Remains. Uh, from DC Comics, we have 100 Bullets, Brother Lono, number four of eight. We've got Action Comics, number 23.3, which is Lex Luthor. Uh, we have Arrow, number 11. Batman, number 23.3, who is the Penguin uh, Batman 66, number three. Batman and Robin, number 23.3. Raz al Ghul. Um, we've got Batman Beyond Universe, number two. Batman the Dark Knight, number 23.3. Clayface. Uh, we've got Detective Comics, number 23.3. The Scarecrow. Um, we've got Flash, number 23.3. The Rogues. Green Lantern, number 23.3. Black Hand. Sweet. Um, Justice League, number 23.3. Dial E. Which is that uh, Dial H villain mm-hmm. with all the like the huge number of artists doing a doing a page? Cool. Um, uh, they actually added a couple. I don't remember. There, I read a story where there were some new people that they just announced for it. Um, Justice League. Uh, wait a second. Uh, Justice League Dark number twenty three point two. Eclipso. Justice League of um, uh, Justice League of America seven point three. Shadow Thief. Um, We've got uh, what we got here. Superman number twenty three point three. Hell. Uh, we've got Swamp Thing number twenty three point one. Arcane. Sweet. Uh, Teen Titans number twenty three point two. Deathstroke. Um, we've got. Uh, oh, this is that hardcover. The unwritten Tommy Taylor and the ship that sank twice, which is actually in in that in that in that book. It's a, he's a character from these books, you know that mm-hmm. that exist. This is one of those books, like made into a graphic novel. So it's very meta. It's the book within a book kind of kind of thing. Um, Wonder Woman number twenty three point one, the cheetah, uh, and that's it for DC. From Dynamite, we have Damsels Mermaids number five of five, Dark Shadows number twenty, Jennifer Blood number thirty one, uh, Lone Ranger number eighteen, Shadow Annual twenty thirteen, and Vampirella number. 34 from idw we have doctor who number 13 uh we have doctor who classics number four ghostbusters number seven half past danger number five of six popeye classics number 14 thunder agents number two um (laughs) teenage mutant Ninja turtles new animated adventures number three uh transformers regeneration one number zero and x files Season 10, number four. Off the hook again, Bob. Yeah, what's going on with the Transformers? I don't know. There's a trade. I was in a rhythm. There's a trade this week, though. It's Transformers. More than meets the eye. Robust in disguise. Oh, that's my winning streak. You should just let it go. Image Comics, we have <laughs> Aphrodite 9, number five. Got Bounce, number five. Cyber Force, number six. Darkness, number 115. 
Um, the trade paperback of Five Ghosts, Volume One: The Haunting of Fabian Gray, which is only ten bucks. Uh, Great Pacific Number Ten. Um, the trade paperback of Lost Vegas. Uh, Mice Templar Four: Legend Number Seven. Mind the Gap Number Fourteen. Yeah. Morning Glories Number Thirty One. Yeah. Peter Panzerfaust Number Fourteen. Savage Dragon Number One Ninety One and Zero Number One. Sweet. Um, from Marvel Comics, we have Cable and X-Force, number 14. Yay. Captain and Marvel, number 16. Yeah, Infinity Dare- Time. Yes. Daredevil, number 31. Uh, Infinity, number 3. Um, Ooh. We've got uh, New Avengers, number 10. Morbius, the Living Vampire, number 9. Powers Bureau, number 7. Uh, we actually have the trade airback of Red She-Hulk, volume 2, route 6. One six, um, Savage Wolverine <laughs> number eight, Secret Avengers number nine, Super Carnage number three, uh, Superior so Superior Carnage not Super Carnage, Superior Spider Man number eighteen, Thor God of Thunder number thirteen, Thunderbolts number fifteen, Ultimate Comics X Men number thirty one, Uncanny X Men number twelve, Venom number forty one, Wolverine Max number eleven. And X-Men Legacy number 17. Damn. From Oni Press, we have Sixth Gun number 34. Um, From Titan Publishing, we have Number Cruncher number 3 of 4. From Valiant, we have Bloodshot and the Hardcores number 14. Harbinger number 16. And Exo Man of War number 17. Boom. That is a lot of books. Yeah. That is Mm -hmm. a lot of books. As as per Um, usual. So... That's going to pretty much wrap up the John Comics podcast for this week. Again, uh, 100th episode. Uh, we are recording it on Friday. It will be up audio and, audio and hopefully, if everything goes right, video uh, on Wednesday, the normal day. Um, for those coming down the show listening, we got a bunch of great prizes for you guys donated by a bunch of the local comic shops. Uh, Bob has put together a pretty kick-ass trivia. Uh, we may even have some comic book video games to play. And I get to be Vanna White. You do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Steve gets to be Vanna White. Um, so you guys have to be there to see what that actually means. <laughs> and then uh, we, may be, we may be playing uh, some... We have a TV set up with some Injustice Gods Among Us and possibly some Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom, mm-hmm. uh, which should be, should be good times. So um, I can't wait to see everybody who's coming uh, this Friday. And to everyone who's listened, thank you so much for supporting us. And uh, the 100th episode is just as much a celebration of you guys as it is of us. Uh, Stephanie will be joining us by phone for at least the beginning uh, of that show. Um, we'll have Rob Newmeyer stopping by. And OG member of Talking Comics, uh, Brian Verderoso, will join us for a little bit as well. So it's going to be a, a fun uh, a, a, f- a fun, fun night. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us and want send us questions... Uh, it's at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and podcast at TalkingComicBooks.com. If you're going to email us questions for the 100th episode specifically, just try to write that in the subject heading so I can find them uh, very quickly and uh, read them out. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Uh, Steve? Mine is at Dead underscore Anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. And Bob? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. Awesome. 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 So that is it for the 99th episode of the Talking Oof. Comics podcast wow. for Steve. Later. Bob. Good night. And Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Continued.